The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by BetDAC. Get 0% commission on all sports for 100 days when you join BetDAC.com, the sports betting exchange today. New customers only, terms and conditions apply. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. As we look back on the weekend's action and the return of the flat, which is back, delighted to say that the one of the best traders and broadcasters in the business, Barry Cole from BetDAC is here. Hello, Barry. Good evening, Emma. How are you? I'm in good form, my man. Great to have you back on, uh, as well as my TalkSport 2 colleague, Lucy Russell-Hughes. Welcome back to the show, Lucy. Yeah, hi, Emmett. Good to be back, thanks. And uh, yeah, looking forward to discussing the race that we had over the weekend. And isn't it great that the flat is back and we can now get fully entrenched in the flat action? Oh, wait. Uh, No, we've got the Irish Grand National coming up and then the Grand National. And... um, there's some more jumps action. And then we return to the flat properly. It's, yeah. What do you make of the, there has been a conversation about the beginning of the flat season, but it is just a little bit weird, Lucy, that we've kicked off the flat season. There was no Ryan Moore. Uh, he decided to go to France. Um, some other, William Buick was in Kempton, but wasn't at Doncaster for the opening uh, big day. And we're kind of now waiting until the Guineas Day on the 6th of May for the flat to really roar back into life again. It's, just, it's a bit odd. It's a strange one, isn't it? It's a, it's a mixed match as well. You mentioned there the jockeys that were uh, riding at different meetings. Frankie Dottori as well. He, he wasn't anywhere to be seen on the, on these on this soil um, over here in the UK. But I think he might be riding, obviously, he's on his farewell tour. So he's probably out in America. Uh, somewhere but yeah I think it's a bit of a, a strange timing uh, with the flat season starting but then we've still got some really good jumps racing to come so it's a bit of a mixed match I think the flat season could do to probably start a bit later closer to the guineas perhaps. Yeah I, I don't have a problem with it starting now it's just really odd Barry that we make this huge big thing about it's the flat is back it's return and now this week it's going to be all about the Irish Grand National the, the following, uh, this weekend, we've got the Ferry House Gold Cup Novice Chase, we've got the Irish Grand National on the 10th, and then straight after that, we're into Aintree conversation. Yeah, still have plenty more uh, twig-hopping action to, to come before the flat really kicks into season. But look, it's good to get these flat horses out, and I'm sure a lot of yards use this time of the season to see where their horses are, what sort of pecking order they're in. Um, we will talk about Hans Anderson in a second. I'm sure it's great for Aiden O'Brien to get him out to see where some of his other his other stars sort of lie as regards to um, Hans Anderson, I doubt he's the the top horse they have down in Ballydoyle. But I'd say it's great to get them out just so they can get a guide. But yeah, I just say it is a bit strange, and um, we still have plenty of good um, jump action to go with Fairy House. We also will have punches down an entry in there as well. So look, best of both worlds, I suppose, if you're a fan of both. And of course, Barry and Dennis O'Regan will be here counting down to entry and Ferry House. Don't worry, we're going to be delving and doing deep dives into all of that between now and then. Paul Ferguson back here for the Grand National as well. Um, Hans Anderson kept good company last year. He beat Al Rifa at the Curra in a maiden, was then second to Aesop's Fables in the Futurity Stakes uh, and took in the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes where Al Rifa spectacularly turned form around with him. But a good horse, not the stable star by any means, uh, but comes out, wins the... Ballylin Stud, Red Rocks, 2,000 Guineas trial, and apparently will now be off to France for the French 2,000 Guineas. Uh, what did you make of his performance, and what was the reaction from Betdak to Hans Anderson's Irish 2,000 Guineas win over the seven furlongs on heavy ground, Barry Call? 
Yeah, well, I, I was over there yesterday. Um, I was taken by his performance. I thought he was in a small bit of trouble turning for home and he was just nudged along, but he, he really did pick up well, well on top. Um, uh, look, he, he'd been highly tried, hadn't he, after he was seconds in, in his maiden at Tipperary. He was actually there that night as well, believe it or not. And then he put in a good performance to win at the Curra. And as I mentioned, highly tried. Look, um, as you mentioned, he's not their leading light. I doubt he is their leading light. He's 33 to 1 for the Derby. He's 20s for the Guineas. He's 14s for the Irish Guineas. We haven't got prices up for the French Guineas as yet, typical, because that probably is his target. So we'll have to slap somebody on the wrists. But um, yeah, I thought it was a good performance. He was very well backed, actually, end of yesterday. Um, he was available at, at around 5 to 4, and he went off um, at 13 to 8 on. So he must have been doing something um, pretty decent at home. I thought the runner up ran quite well. He was settled in off the pace. And stayed on well enough, but if the truth be told, um, yeah, he never looked in danger under Ryan Moore. Aidan O'Brien was a pains to say that he wasn't a soft ground horse, um, and he'll he'll improve an awful lot, uh, for that run. But um, well supported, so maybe he he was much more forward than some of the other runners. But um, I would be surprised if he is their their leading their leading Derby uh, and Guineas and Guineas hope for the year. But again, as I mentioned at the start of the show, I'd say he is just somewhere to give them a guide. They obviously have a couple better than a couple of wars at home so I'd say um, he's, he's a good guard from going forward but yeah you had to be impressed by it um, I thought he he, um, he was in a small bit of trouble I wouldn't say trouble but I think he was he was just nudged along for of home but he really did pick up and look I'd say he, he's going to improve for the step up in distance he hit the line well and being by Frank you think he, he would get further in time I think He could be a little bit underestimated Lucy Russell Hughes he has a profile of an Anthony Van Dyke and let me just express that properly uh, in that he could win a Group 1 for them this season. It wouldn't be a surprise to me in the slightest. He will not be going down the Derby route, though. He's just not bred for stamina. Uh, his dam, all her wins came over five and seven furlongs, so this is going to be his trip seven a mile. I could see the jersey being a big race for him at Royal Ascot. Um, I, I'd imagine that will come into contention. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's a horse who picks up a Group 1 towards the end of the season, um, or at least between now and then, and while they've gone a crawl, the turn of foot that he showed was really impressive, Lucy. Yeah, I think he was probably visually one of the most impressive winners that, that I saw it over the weekend um, from the racing that we had over in the UK, but also at Leopardstown. Um, yeah, I thought he was given quite a patient ride by Ryan Moore and um, sat sort of third or third or fourth in that contest. And he, he's quickened up smartly. And yeah, I thought he was visually very impressive and uh, he ran in that Vince O'Brien Stakes last season, didn't he? Beaten by Al Reefer, but he had got the better of Al Reefer previous in his previous two-year-old campaign. So, um, yeah, he's got plenty of targets, hasn't he, Emmett? And um, perhaps the mile and a half Derby trips will just stretch him because, as, as you mentioned there, his pedigree dam was a was a sprinter. Well, she won over a sprint trip, so um, you'd like to see him maybe line up in perhaps a couple of Group Ones over a mile. This season over in France, obviously he's got targets, but perhaps his targets over in this country as well, like the Sussex States at Goodwood or something. Um, he's a smart prospect and, yeah, looking forward to seeing where he goes next. Sussex Stakes is a good shout. We'll see how his season pans out, but right now Jersey Stakes would be at the top of my mind for him. Um, but I could mm, absolutely yeah. see him competing in the Sussex and possibly even, I'm not going to say he's going to win it, but I think he's going to surprise a few people this season. I think he'll do very, very well. Um the PW Memorial Bally Sack Stakes went to White Birch. This was a massive upset. Uh, John Joseph Murphy training. Shane Foley gave him a very, very confident ride. Um, he's a nicely bred horse, son of Ulysses, out of a Dutch art mare. Beautiful. He's almost white, Lucy. 
Um, but he's done it mm. well. But before I get your analysis, let's find out what the latest is from Betdak after his win. A 22 to 1 shot uh, beats up and under for Joseph O'Brien. Alexandropoulos caused chaos towards the end of the race. Uh, what was the anti post reaction for the Derby for White Birch and indeed Alexandropoulos? Uh, presumably he's taking a bit of a walk now. Yeah, he, he was a huge disappointment there yesterday. Um, I actually backed um, Denmark in the race. I might so did have I. Dan Perry, the way he ran. Yeah, he ran a stinker. And he was well supported as well. But you can back White Birch at 25 to 1 for the Derby. And look, it was a strange sort of a race, really, wasn't it? But listening to Joe Murphy after the race, he said he thinks he's going to come on an awful lot for the race. He said he's carrying, this was interviewed, he was interviewed on the track, I'm not too sure about TV, but he said he was carrying uh, plenty of condition and he expects him to step forward. And from that run, I thought that the runner-up was a little bit unlucky up and under. He was just coming through a gap and he was sort of squeezed in between Alexandrupolis and White Birch at a crucial enough stage. That being said, he did have every chance with 100 yards to go. And like, I think he might have actually hit the front with maybe 50 yards to go. And White Birch did, did battle back. But um, yeah, the big two in the market, I suppose, were Alexandrupolis, 4-5. We well supported him. As to was Denmark, I back him at 7-2 on track. He went off 11-4. But uh, Denmark was very, very disappointing. As too was the other O'Brien on a Mohawk chief who, who trailed the field back in sixth place. But um, yeah, as I say, listening to, to Joe Murphy, he expects an awful lot more from White Birch. Was a big surprise. He was friendless, 22 to 1, much bigger on the exchange, over 40 at one stage on the exchanges. But you can back him there, 25s for the Derby. And look, uh, hit the line well enough. He showed a good attitude because I think up and under did actually hit the front with maybe 50 yards to go from the battle back start of the year and yeah, it could be a nice tie for Joe Murphy it's nice to see the smaller trainer I know he's, he's got plenty of decent horses but it's nice to see the smaller trainer um, take it, take a group three race at Leopardstown I agree with you uh, a once raced maiden and a wide margin Dundalk maiden winner are the two who end up pulling clear uh, Alexandropoulos has run a decent race to be third I thought Serious Challenge was going to hold on uh, just before they got to the final bend I thought he'd been given a cracking ride from Rory Cleary and he had race fitness but just folded like a cheap deck chair towards the end. Uh, and Denmark, Aidan O'Brien has said he's going to wear blinkers the next day. He was just a little bit lazy, but I was very disappointed with him. Um, yeah, he was well he well bet one for home. He, he was well bet even before they turned for home, wasn't he? He was yeah. along. He won the first one, his first one bet. So. But, but there, there you go, Hans Anderson comes out first one of the season, wins it well, strong with the line, and, and the three in this race sort of left a little bit to be desired, really, didn't they? Yeah, they, they absolutely did. And... I'll do more of a deep dive into the Aidan O'Brien horses in a second in this race. But Lucy, what did you make of, of White Birch up and under and Alexandropoulos? Yeah, White Birch, well, it was a confident ride as well from Shane Foley. Obviously, he was a big price winner, a bit of a surprise. Um, I, I thought, yeah, step up to one mile two has obviously really brought about a lot of improvement from this horse. But obviously, um, Alexandropoulos is has not run to his, uh, his merits. He was tapped for a bit of toe, wasn't he? He was looking one pace in the in the closing stages and they did get a bit close there's a few bumps so maybe that did hamper him a little bit um did get a bit messy in the closing stages but yeah the, the winner was a bit of a, a shock winner in the end um I thought serious challenge led the field at a decent enough pace and um like you said it looked as though at one point he, he might have held on so um be interesting to see how that form works out I suppose with those couple of horses and, and seeing how they run next time out yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how both of these come out of the race. Also, in terms of what do they do? Do they go, do they give White Birch a, an Epsom preparation and go for the Derby? Or is he going to be more of an Irish Derby contender? Right now, Lucy, you've just won a Derby trial. I would be inclined to say, roll the dice for Epsom. Yeah, he, he looks like the step up 
to one mile two has really sort of benefited him. So um, he looks like an out and out galloper to me. Um, and I just think that ex- extra trip has really helped him at the weekend. It's great to see Ulysses providing another winner as well. Just great to see him uh, thriving. Uh, I think both of these horses are going to be exciting going forward. In terms of the overall form, it is heavy ground early season at Leopardstown. It's not something we should be getting overly carried away by. But Lucy's reference to the ride Shane Foley gave, like the fact that he didn't panic uh, rounding the final bend and go massively wide to go challenge. He waited till they went round the final bend and then the the field narrows a little bit and that's when he makes his move. Uh, and that, in, that was suggesting to me that he was even more confident. First of all, he didn't panic, but secondly, he was even more confident that he was going to get there. Um, and he does survive the interference caused by Alexandropoulos. He has wandered around like a drunken monkey towards the end of the race. Um, it, it's possible that he just tired and that's why he got a little bit unbalanced, but he's caused chaos. It's not something that you would like to see in terms of his ability to handle the, the undulations and the cambers of, of Epsom, Lucy. For Alexandropoulos, yeah. which is a, it's a difficult horse to pronounce as well, isn't it? But everyone was saying to me at the weekend, you better get used to pronouncing this horse's name, Lucy, because he could be quite smart. Um, but then he's obviously gone and disappointed, hasn't he? Um, yeah, unbalanced is is, is um, what you said there, Emmett, and I would would, would agree with you. Um, he has got bumped around. Perhaps the heavy ground has found him out as well because he looked a bit tap for toe um, for me and he, he just didn't look like he was letting himself down on the ground perhaps as uh, as a few of the other horses in that race were. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's only had one run, hadn't he, last season? So he's probably still a bit greener than a few of those other horses in that race as well. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point to make too. On Thursday's show with Mark, because Mark was very keen on him for the Derby and was talking about potentially backing him beforehand. I don't think he actually did it in the end because uh, I was trying to talk him out of it because I've, I've come to a conclusion. All these previews of the Bally Sacks almost always mention Aidan O'Brien's won this with Galileo and High Chaparral and it's a key trial. I don't think it is a key trial for Aidan O'Brien anymore. And I don't think it's been a key trial for them for quite some time. Um, the only... It's too early. It's, it, it's not just that. I think when Kieran Fallon went in in 2005, a lot changed. And part of it was him impressing upon Aidan the importance of taking a horse to Chester and the benefit of taking a horse to Lingfield. The Lingfield Derby trial is a perfect trial because Lingfield is so similar to Epsom. Chester is a perfect Derby trial because of the tight nature of the track and the horses learn so much from the experience of being there. And in my humble opinion, Aidan O'Brien's best Derby prospects all will either go to Chester, Lingfield for the Derby, either one of the Derby trials in Chester, Lingfield for the Derby trial, or they'll start off in the 2000 guineas. They're not going to the Bally Sacks yeah. anymore. And the only horse in the last 10 years that you could honestly say was Aidan O'Brien's number one derby hope that came from the Bally Sacks slash Derrenstown route was Bolshoi Ballet, who I was shocked to be reminded went off 11-8 to eight favorite for the 2021 derby. Um, I'd completely forgotten that that was how heavily backed he was. But he was also the only runner Aidan O'Brien had in the race. So yeah, I'm not saying that Alexandropoulos is not going to be a broom, for example. Like, like he could absolutely be a proper group one, grade one performer on the international stage and do really, really well for them. He's not an Epsom horse, in my mind. He just isn't. And I don't, I think we, we need to start rethinking any Aidan O'Brien horse that runs in the Ballysack Stakes. 
It doesn't preclude them from winning a derby, but recent evidence would tell you this is not where the big guns start for Belly Doyle anymore. No, I, I agree. And, and just finally, Emma, I just want to mention the, the winner once more because um, probably not getting the credit he deserved. Well said. The market of this race, the market of this race uh, yesterday was more or less made up on reputations and trainers. And it's easy to forget, and there's no slight on John Murphy at all, he's trained many a good horse, but he won a maiden at Dundalk with six and a half lengths. And if you watch racing at Dundalk, there's very, very, very few horses win maidens by that sort of a distance. And okay, I know the second was rated 69, but Johnny Morta had a horse in it, Mick Halford had one in it, Jerry Lyons had one in it, Joseph had one in it, the Stacks had one in it. So it, it couldn't have been that bad of a maiden. But to win it by six and a half lengths was, was a huge performance. And okay, he went off at twenty-two to one. If he had been trained by Aidan O'Brien, there's no way he would have went off at twenty-two to one. I know that's an obvious statement, but it was all on hype. And, and look, I know hindsight's a great thing, but that was a huge performance to win that maiden. And look, Joe could have a right button on his hands here. He's, he's sold it since the last time he ran. He ran in his own colours. He's in the Rodriguez colours now. But um, yeah, he was bullish enough in the, in the interview yesterday, and he expects him to come on a lot. And if he come, comes on from that race, and uh, look. As I say, it's only his four starts of the season. He could be anything. So uh, probably knocking him a little bit, not giving him the credit he deserves and saying other horses can come on and will improve on, on the ground. But look, he could improve for better ground as well. So I think he's a nice type. Definitely want to keep on the right side of the Yeah, I would completely echo all of that. And, and I think up and under too, because it did look as though up and under got to the front. I, I suspect he did. And then somehow White Birch has managed to battle back, which I like even more. I love the fact yeah, that he has... Yeah, great attitude. Great exactly, attitude, yeah. yeah. He's got that the dogged determination. He's got that dog in him, as the kids would say. But he's also just... He's a classy racehorse. So I wouldn't be dismissive of him at all. I just don't know if this is form to be taken to the bank. It's a heavy ground race early in the season. Where does Alexandropoulos really rank in terms of the elite Bally Doyle horses? He's probably there, and I'm sure he's been working well, but his group in grade one wins... I can see him just going off to America. I can I can already see him winning there and then being a good horse and doing quite well. I'm not for a second saying he won't be a Group 1 winner, um, but he will need to take a big step forward and Denmark was just a massive disappointment. Mohawk Chief was never able to go the gallop. So I, I don't think that's the... It's still a derby trial. Duh, obviously, it's still a derby trial. Like um, Harzand, for the late great Pat Smullen, won this in 2016 before going on to, to derby victory. But from an Aidan O'Brien perspective, I don't think... They're taking the, the major Epsom Derby players there anymore, but we'll see. Sorry to the purists, Derby players. Sorry, Lucy. Put that taser down, Lucy. I won't call it the Epsom Derby ever again. <laughs> Lucy, put the knife down. There's no need to get so crazy about it. Jesus. I'm going to get <laughs> loads of abuse for calling it the Epsom Derby. How, it's like saying Ascot Gold Cup. How die? Um, Aidan O'Brien is having a good start to the season, though. He's only had 26 runners so far, eight winners, um, banging in the prize money as well. And he was back to winning ways with never-ending story in the Ballylinstud Priory Bell 1,000 Guineas trial. She's not certain to go to Newmarket, but what was the reaction from Betdak to her win, Barry? Yeah, quite a few people impressed for her. She's 10 to 1 to go to the Guineas at Newmarket, and she's 8 for the Irish equivalent, and 14s for the Oaks, which um, the way she hit the line again, I think, Possibly could be her, her target, but you never know. I thought this was probably the most impressive performance of the day over there yesterday anyway, visually. Um, she had quite a bit to do, and I, I thought uh, a couple of friends of mine have a share in uh, Matilda Picotti, and I thought she ran a cracker as well. Oh, Kieran Potter. Race, yeah, um, yeah Zarinsk, Zarinsk looked like he was going to pick it up for home, 
Matilda Picotte kicked on again and looked as though she had the race in the bag, but it was a to be beat. She never looked like she was going to be beat two and a half lengths, and then when you think it was another two and a half lengths back to Zarinsk. So it's, if you had to pause the race a furlong out and said never ending story beats Zarinsk by five lengths, it really does show she hit the line really, really strongly. So um, yeah, she has been well enough, well, I wouldn't say supported, but she's just cut at this stage because it was a good performance. 14s for the Oaks, 8s for the Irish 1,000 guineas, and 10s for the English 1,000 guineas. Again, she was highly tried, wasn't she? She was over in Longchamp um, at the back end of last season for the Marsh del Boussac. Finished third in that, beating five lengths. But um, yeah, she's obviously taught a lot of, again, went off two to one favour, well supported. She well, she was she drifted a small bit. She was supported originally in the morning, but I think judging on how the three horses ran in the, in the previous race, she did drift a small bit and two to one looks a big price now for them. Yeah, 14 to 1 for the Oaks. She was visually for me the best winner there yesterday. And uh, I wouldn't give up on the runner up until the cost and the rinse could come forward too. So I think it's a decent enough race. But yeah, for me, Emma, she was uh, the most impressive winner on the day there yesterday. Yeah, I was really taken with her as well. Um, in terms of where they go next with her, like that was a, a pretty decent run on Arc Day in the pre Marcel Buzak when she was third. Um, she just seems to yeah, have really improved an awful lot over the winter. She seems to have stepped up and, and uh, gotten herself into a, a much... She seems to have really developed physically and mentally over the winter into a much better horse. And if you look back on, on recent winners of this race, like Jet Setting went on to win the 1,000 guineas in, in the Curra. Uh, Hydrangea beat Winter. We know how that form worked out. Winter going on to win the, the 1,000 guineas. Itself and being one of the top uh, horses of her generation. Uh, Homeless Songs was devastatingly impressive in the 1,000 guineas at the Curra afterwards. So it's a good trial. It's a good race. and I liked what she did. A- Aidan O'Brien afterwards was talking about how Meditate is still number one. She's going to be the, the main player for the guineas. And she could go to France. She could. She will take in a guineas. Is that going to be Newmarket or France? Decide for yourself. The thing that you can be absolutely certain about with her, Lucy, is she will go to the Curra for the Irish 1000 guineas, and she'll probably go for the Oaks, and she'd have a decent chance of staying the trip as well, given her pedigree. Yeah, I think so. I think wherever she goes, she has a decent chance, doesn't she? And she's pretty versatile as well, never-ending story, because... That was heavy ground at the weekend. Um, it was heavy ground in the Marcel Boussac as well, or very testing ground anyway last season. But she also won at, at the track at Leopardstown on good ground. So versatile, handles any ground. Um, she has to be a big player, doesn't she, wherever she goes next, by the Bali. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether she does line up in the 1,000 guineas. Obviously, meditate um, is going to be hard to beat if that's the case. But she's a, she's a player wherever she goes next never-ending story and yeah she she uh spooked down the outside of the field didn't she at Leopardstown at the weekend and uh great run from her but an equally just a, as good a run from uh, Matilda Bacote I, I would say so probably upgrade um that horse's performance back in second yeah I would absolutely completely agree with that um in terms of the Aidan O'Brien team he did a stable tour with David Jennings recently uh, I think it was today and he was talking about how Statuette won't be out till the autumn. But the way he was talking about her was like almost she had become the number one for the 1,000 guineas. And that with, because he said something along the lines of, with Statuette out, it's all about meditate. And that goes back to last season where they were humming and hawing about running Statuette at Royal Ascot in the race that Meditate ended up going for. So they clearly hold Statuette in incredibly high regard um, and they clearly hold Meditate in very high regard. I would let her roll. I would let Neverending Story join them in the 1,000 guineas. I think the 
the new market 1,000 guineas is much more important to them than the French guineas. All due respect to the French. Um, and they do tend to let their fillies race. They're very, very sporting with the fillies. So I would imagine their running story would go to Newmarket, give her the chance. And in terms of her pedigree, her mum, Athena, won a grade one in America over 10 furlongs. She didn't win over a mile four, but she did run well over the trip. And the Dubawi influence will add class, but also a bit of stamina. So there's there's a chance she will stay, Barry. Yeah, there is. But I'm just looking at the betting here for it now. Uh, immediate's three to one for the 1,000 guineas. That's plenty short enough at this stage. In fact, you had a sixes. Look, we've seen never-ending story. She's in good fettle. Um, like she couldn't have done much more than, than beat what was put in front of her yesterday. And, and she's 14 to one. So she's three times, four times the price of media. Media. So yeah, for me, you, you'd have to be taking the never-ending story. Look, I know it's it's only the first real classic trial of the season, and there's lots of water to go under the bridge. But I thought it was a decent field she beat. Um, and as I say, she really quickened up. Like, like. She was level with the three of them, I suppose, well, just behind Matilda Picotti. But to, to beat Cher Lyons Philly by five lengths, as I mentioned, and she hit the line really, really strong. I'd have no doubts about her getting it. But it's, you're worried about it. She just ground dependent. But um, at 14 to 1 now at the moment, um, she'd definitely be the one for me. I and mean, I think that represents fairly decent value, knowing that she's um, she's more than likely going to take in those two targets. She's going to end up um, as an Oaks Philly. But um, yeah, I, I was very taken by her yesterday. Yeah, there used to be a thing with Aidan O'Brien horses and the 1,000 guineas where, well, the guineas in general, where his 2,000 guineas horses, you would just back anything that had not had a run. If they ran in a trial, forget them. If they went there fresh, they would have a really good chance of winning. But conversely, in the 1,000 guineas, if they went there without a prep run, you could just discount them immediately. And there were so many high-profile horses that he ran with that, with that exact scenario that ended up bombing out. And that's all changed. Um, minding, yeah, Hermosa, love, Mother Earth. Now it's it's gone the other way. Now now you want to be looking at Aidan O'Brien horses who have not had a run yet this season. Uh, so it's just it's just intriguing. In terms, look, it doesn't mean that she can't win. Of course she can win it, but she would need to improve to win the one thousand guineas. Um, she can do it, and she has the benefit of race fitness. But I I would say Meditate is still the most likely winner, and we'll come to the one thousand guineas chat in, in full in a little bit. But just in terms of her of her overall profile. Um, she is a horse that I would be intrigued in for, for the Oaks. She's not entered in it, but she's a cool more horse. She'll be very easily supplemented. And the fact that she does have an entry in the Irish Oaks, um, yes. there's nothing entered for the Oaks right now, isn't there? Not It's, it's the Derby that no, has entries, so. but no, yeah. So they'll get her in there, no problem at all. And um, I, I could see her being a big player at, at Epsom. Yeah, I just, like, I know what you're saying, but this big thing about horses training on from two to three, now Aiden has mentioned meditate as like she's she's trained on but i'd rather see it on the track and um yeah i'd be happy enough with never ending story winning a group three in good style and um, med- meditate on there without a run so yeah at the prices for me never in the story would be the one i'd, I'd be uh, focused on at this stage now but look it's, it's very very early uh, meditate to come out and blow them all out of the water if she has a run before the, the, the guineas and then it'll be all changed but from what we've seen so far and that's all what we can go on um, you can go on hearsay if you like, but form on the track and uh, never in a story is a leading player so far. Yeah. Are you still of the opinion or, or are you one of these people who are a little bit concerned about, do these no-name nevers train on? Well, it's just, it's every horse in gen- general. I remember that horse, Air Force Blue. Remember him? A good horse. Oh, for, Jesus. For, um, right. Yeah, and, and we, we had a Cheltenham preview night um, and Joseph O'Brien was one of the guests at Cheltenham preview night and he was asked what's his best bet at Cheltenham. And he said, just hold on for a few more weeks and have what you like and never on um, Air Force Blue. 
but he was obviously flying at home, but he just never done it on the track as a, as a three year old, you know. So look, I'd I'd always like to see them do it on the track over here, say. I'm pretty sure I had managed to block Air Force Blue from my memory. I'd got it out. There you go. The therapist well, had managed to just erase. And Barry Call comes in with a hammer and just wrecks the walls that had built up around the bad memories of Air Force Blue uh, and it re-exposes them to the light again. Thanks for that, Barry. Thank, thanks a bunch. Any time, any time. Oh, my goodness. I remember back in him, I think it might have been the Irish 2000 Guineas, and sitting in a pub... Uh, with Colin Kiley, Jerry Kelly, uh, some friends of mine down below in Cork, we were having pints and pizzas in in a pub in, in Cork City. And me telling the lads, this Air Force Blue is a solid moral. Ignore the last day. This is the day he's going to bolt up. Fell out the back of the telly. He's just like, absolutely yeah. horrendous as a three-year-old. Uh, yeah. There you go. And, that's, and that was, jo- Joseph was telling us this in March, you know, the way that's so, and yeah. look, look, as I say, I'd rather see them do it on the track um, as a two-year-old, another thing was obviously much better than never, never-ending story. But never-ending story has come out, and she's done it, and done it in pretty good style as well. For the record, I don't think there's any issue with no one ever's training on. Um, I think they they absolutely do. There's just there are a few that are very precocious. Air Force Blue was one of them, and uh, it just didn't happen for him. But yeah, they tried him as a sire. They were excited about him. It just, it just, it, the whole thing was a complete disaster. Anyway, anyway, moving on. Get those walls rebuilt, please. Thank you very much to uh, wall off those bad memories again. Uh, the Pretomps, as Tony Keenan would say, Network Lincoln. It's a trend buster. A top weight? A seven-year-old? What? Um, Benoit Delasayette wins the Lincoln for the second year in a row, uh, beating Mark's selection. AWOL ran a, a massive race. Uh, and my horse did... Exactly what you want all good each way bets to do, Barry. Finish seventh when they're paying sixth places. Thanks a bunch, Empire State of Mind. Uh, but he did run. Yeah. He did run a really good race. Um, right. What was your reaction to Migration's victory in the Lincoln? First off, I thought he was visually very impressive to the eye, wasn't he? He won it a little bit snug in the end, if if anything. But um, seven-year-old, yeah, for David Minosier, I thought he was very good. Very good performance. A lot of his um his wins obviously had come on heavy ground. He won a good one at heavy um in twenty twenty one. Again, his last race his last race was won on, on good ground. But um the first three home, I had a look at them, they they'd all got good solid form on, on heavy ground. But to come from where he did and to win how he did, um Benoit Dallas yes, look, he's he's claiming three now. He's he's obviously one of the top Top amateurs around, and he's going to be—he's going to be a decent professional fairly shortly. But he gave him a really, really cool ride. I think he was stone last for two to go, and he was a pains to get him to the near side rails. But it was evident from a furlong out he was going to get there. I know another couple of horses tra- um, travelled well enough in the race. Uh, Baradar travelled noticeably well, but the the eye was always drawn to migration. The way he was making the ground, and um, yeah, he ran out a really, really good winner. Seven year old now, so I don't know what the next step is going to be. Obviously, something. Uh, listed company will he be a group horse i i don't know and i think he's pretty ground dependent but um yeah look a huge pot to win great training performance and a really really cool ride by the young fella but um yeah baradar you could take him out with he traveled well i initially thought maybe he didn't go on the ground but he has got some good form on heavy ground and awal as well as some good form on heavy ground so the heavy ground horses came to the fore but um yeah taking performance now for migration to be to be stone last with two to go, have 21 rivals in front of you, and to win by a length and a quarter, and he was always going to win from a half a furlong out, and it would be. Yeah, he was, to be fair. Uh, it ended up being quite easy. 
for Benoit Delassette towards the end. I was intrigued, Lucy, I suppose it is stating the obvious, but trainers don't always want to say this kind of stuff. But David Manusia did say afterwards he's a mudlark um, and that he keeps going when other horses stop. It's normally the kind of language we would use and a trainer wouldn't like that kind of stuff being said about their horses, but he's absolutely right. Um, he was unlucky on Champions Day in the Balmoral Handicap. He's run an absolute blinder here, and it's an attempt to try and get black type next. Will he be able to do it, though, under those conditions? Yeah, that's the, the question mark with him, isn't it, I suppose? But like all of David Minutier's horses, they all tend to like a bit of juice in the ground, don't they? And this horse obviously does. And um, yeah, it was a very brave ride from Benoit de la Serre, um held up at the in the back of the field and um, he, he did get checked up as well a little bit in the closing stages. So huge performance from the horse and uh, and jockey as well. But yeah, the question mark is whether he can do it in pattern company, isn't it, Emmett? Um, he was very lightly raced last season. We only saw him on the track three times. So um, again, another huge training performance from David Minutier for this horse to be winning first time out this season in the fashion that he did. Um, it's just whether he can prove himself in a level above um, that Lincoln. So whether he can go on to bigger and better things listed in group company, I suppose, remains to be seen. It's going to be returned to group company for Fox's Tales as well after his win in the Magnolia Stakes at Kempton. Um, he'd had a wide trip in the winter derby at Linkfield on his previous start on his return. That was his first run back since being gelded. Things didn't go to plan there, but he was really good here, Barry Cole. Yeah, good performance. Um, again, similar to uh, the Lincoln winner, probably just below, um, you know, the, t- the top the top performers. But look, nice to win a nice listed race. Won it quite well as well, didn't he? Three lengths. And it's nice to see O'Shea Murphy back now with sort of in, in the big time. And look, I know he's missing for a while, but um, yeah, it's a good winner for him. But um, done it the hard way as well, Emmett. Um, I think he picked it up after a four-long or so and beat a decent field, a decent rated field. At the first four home, five home were all rated over 100. Um and look, you couldn't be not but, but taken by the performance. Five-year-old now, as I say, the last few times he's ran, he, he sort of struggled um, in group company, I think, hasn't he? Beaten in the group three, although he, he, behind Lord North, who's also beaten in the group three at Haydock at the back end of last year. So listed level, similar to um, the, the Lincoln winner. I think maybe the step up to group company might just be beyond them. However, that was certainly, for me anyway, a career best in winning and uh, he certainly deserves to take his chance in uh, in a group three. And uh, whether he can go any higher than that, I'm not so sure. Again, you're worried is he is he ground dependent? The last time he won a race was back in August 2021 at Haydock, and the ground was classed as soft. He's not the most prolific, I suppose. He's four wins from 15. His previous win before that was um, a soft ground race at Ascot. So of his four wins, three of them have come on soft or heavier ground. So look. He's going to be stepping up to group company now. He's going to need the grounds to uh, go in his favour. So I think if they're going to get him a, a race, you'd probably have to get her, get it sooner rather than later, or maybe when the ground turns again at the end of the season. Yeah, they took him to Chester for a derby trial in 2021, and he ran okay there. He was beaten six lengths by El Drama, but they're going to go back for the Huxley Stakes this summer. So that's the, the current thinking with him. I'd say that's his level, but it, it was nice to see him mm. win, and we'll we'll see how much improvement there is to come from him. Uh, Secret State was pretty damn disappointing, but Mark did warn you about that beforehand. You can't say you weren't told. I thought Phantom Flight conversely ran better, um, and that might seem really harsh when there's only a length between them, but one had a huge amount of expectation on, on his shoulders. Uh, he'd been gelded. He was having second run after a wind up. 
he had an awful lot of potential. It just it didn't happen for him. Phantom Blood, I'm sure, will come on. Uh, and Turinian C reportedly bled, bled um, during the race, so that's why he has not performed at all. He did drift considerably beforehand, but he remains a horse to follow, although the cliff edge is getting closer and closer and closer. And if he were to win at 33-1 to 1 the next day, and I had 20 quid on him, he would not return the money that I have lost. Uh, but Lucy Russell Hughes, two oh, years. Tell, tell us more. Oh no 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 no! Long-time listeners already know Terrenancy is a long-time cliff horse, and I'm afraid at least it was too bad to be true. It couldn't possibly be right, and we do know that he's bled. So he's beaten 127 lengths. He will get another day in the sun, but uh, yeah, he'll need to be a wild price to recoup losses. Um, Lucy, what did you make of Fox's Tales? Oh, he was very impressive, wasn't he, in, in that Magnolia Stakes? It was a, a pretty decent lineup. You mentioned the other horses there, Emmett. But yeah, he he's bounced right back to um, some decent form there because we, we last saw him finishing third behind Lord North in the uh, Winter Derby. So that form is really strong. Lord North has gone on to win Group 1 races in uh, Maidan since. So yeah, he was a previous Royal Ascot winner um, back in 2021. I think that might have been the year Oshie Murphy won the leading rider award but anyway so mm-hmm. he, he gets on very very well this horse and it was a comprehensive victory and he scampered clear yeah it was really impressive um as was bandinelli's victory in the unibet queen's prize handicap the london stairs series qualifier uh, he'd won the race the year before and mark had been very very bullish that he would go and win it again and we got a rewarded with a very nice price of 11 to 2 uh Oshin's horse aztec empire ended up folding like a cheap deck chair towards the end of the race. But Barry, what did you make of Bandanelli, who apparently will be aimed at the Northumberland Plate now because he's just better on the all-weather? Yeah, I think he ran in the Northumberland Plate last year as well behind uh, Trusha, and he finished sixth in that race. But he was winning this race for the first time since he won it last year. But in fairness to him, um, he had, what, five defeats in between there? But he, he'd won, overall, he's won five of his last uh, 11 starts. And he's gradually improving, like he's... He's now a five-year-old, but if you look at his ratings, he's, he's improving, he's improving. He won that off 97 there at the weekend. He's probably going to tip into the 100s now. Uh, you mentioned his next run is going to be the Northumberland Plate. Didn't run too bad in that last year, Emmett, uh, mm-hmm. and they came off, off the back of two poor enough runs. He was 12th of 12 um, at Haydock. Before that, he was 12th of 16 at Ascot. Then he went to the Northumberland Plate. He's only beaten just under five lengths in that. So he's going in here now. Uh, he won. He ran in that last year off ninety eight. He, what's he probably going to get? He's probably going to get four or five for that. Or, or, or will that an all weather, all weather race? Or are going to get up for that? Will he? Oh, um, he I'd say he will. I'd, I'd say he will. It's just how much he will go up is is the matter, though. Yeah, well, he's not going to be running off too much of a higher mark than he did last year. And as I say, he's coming into this race now this year off the back of a good run, whereas last year he went into it off the back of two pretty poor runs and still finished a respectable sixth. Of twenty, so you have to take him pretty seriously, um, in the Northumberland place, and um, yeah, he he's gradually improving all the time. So he'd be one of the more likelier ones, um, in this year's Northumberland place. You have to say he's an odd one, Lucy, because he has won on turf like twice. He's won on good to firm, but then they switched him to the all weather for his next three starts, all at Kempton. Put him back on turf at Haydock. He bombs being beaten sixty seven lengths. Then he's beaten six and a half lengths at Ascot. Return to the all weather. The form comes back again. So, do you do you try him on the turf again, or do you just go, okay, he's a five year old and he's just better on synthetics. Let's go. Let's try and target those races. And at least all weather racing is of a better quality these days. 
yeah, it is. There's better prize money as well on offer nowadays, isn't there, for some of these all-weather races. Um, I think he probably is um, a better horse on the all-weather. I mean, his two turf runs are, were in Class 3s and Class 4s. So I think he is, yeah, I think he's just a level above on the all-weather. He can be winning Class 2s um, quite easily, whereas on the turf, he's probably not quite at that level. Um, you can see why he has the cheap pieces on. Um, although, to be fair to the horse, he, he won that contest in a pretty straightforward fashion at the weekend. And uh, the favourite was very, very disappointing, Aztec Empire, from the Andrew Borden team. Um, because, yeah, he was the favourite going into the race and looked as though he had the, the world at his feet and he was quite lightly raced and progressive. But um, he disappointed. But Bandinelli won the race for the second year running. So... Um, yeah, if he goes to the Northumberland plate, he'd probably be an each way chance. Yeah, and the way the race panned out as well, um, given the fact that Bandinelli was giving weight to Aztec Empire, he should have run a better race. But again, you were warned by um, by Mark Milligan, and, and Mark was very, very bullish about Bandinelli. So hopefully, hopefully, uh, you were on the right side of things. Uh, speaking of the all weather, the Woodford Reserve Cardinal Conditional Stakes, the road to the Kentucky Derby. Um, Brave Emperor has run a massive race for us. Not quite good enough, though, against Bold Act. It was a, a steadily run affair, Lucy. Um, and he was being held up at the back of the field, which is not ideal. But he's managed to come through and, and get the job done and beating a good horse in the process. Yeah, and I don't know whether that was Harry Davis' intention, because, again, it was another brave ride, almost like, what Benoit de la Sayette did in the Lincoln. Um, these young riders are, are really proving themselves at the minute on the track. Um, yeah, Bold Act won it well enough, didn't he? Um, as, as we mentioned there, sat out the back, but he uh, he came up the inside rail sort of turning for home and um, he, he won the race um, well enough, only by half a length, but I suppose he was always doing enough. And that was his fourth victory. He's now four from five. And um, he, he looks as though he's going the right way, probably ought to be stepping up a, a level again um, because that was class two company last time. Uh, he won in that grade as well last season as a two-year-old. So I'd like to think he'd be um, stepping up into listed company perhaps next time. Yeah, I would imagine that's exactly what they'll be doing with him. Um, can't ima- I don't think he's accumulated enough points. We'd done the math on this the other day. If Brave Emperor won he would automatically have got into the Kentucky Derby. I don't think he has enough points. Now, maybe he does, uh, but Baldak certainly doesn't. So He has got an um, good Friday, but I suppose that's only this Friday. It'd be a quick turnaround. And I don't okay. I don't know if that's a points accumulation either. Maybe it is. Um, Mark and I went through the math on this the other day about the, the European qualifiers for the Kentucky Derby, but... Brave Emperor, I'm certain, was the only one that could actually qualify for it. Uh, and so it's a little bit frustrating that he's come up short. Um, a, a nice horse, though, uh, Barry Cole, Brave Emperor. I'm, I'm sure they're going to have a bit of fun with him uh, as the season continues. But Bold Act has done this really, really well. A new approach out of a Dubawi mare. How high will his kite fly, though? Um, well, that was a big step up on what he'd done before, um, I think, because... I know he'd won three of his, of his four starts and he's unbeaten since his debut and he finished second in the maiden at Newmarket, which is no mean feat at all. But I read somewhere recently at Chelmsford, it's near impossible to come from behind. Uh, the stats really tell you that, that it's very, very hard to come from behind at Chelmsford. And to come from behind and, and up the inside rail as well, I think all the stats are against you. Um, and that, I think that's a career best. It's it's off the back of near 200 days off. Um, he's, yeah, he's definitely one to keep an eye on. He's entered again this Friday, I see. 
whether they run him or not, I don't think so. He probably had a hard enough race, I suppose, to get there, didn't he? But um, yeah, to come from behind, win at Chams, Chams, Chamsford, I hyphenated the two of them there, Chamsford and Cheltenham. Um, Chamsford City, my boy! Yeah, a couple of, or Great Lees, known as Great oh Lees, on the same track. Yeah, we're going back a bit now. But back to uh, back to the winner, Baldak. Yeah, um, stats were against him, and what he done, he shouldn't have been able to do, if you get me, come behind that Chamsford and come up the inside. So, likeable performance, and he was Snug enough, snug enough there in the end when he got there. Yeah, it's a really good point to make about the track configuration at Chelmsford. It's definitely the advantage to be on, on the pace and be prominent. Um, yes, big time. From memory, that's very important over sprint trips. But I would imagine it's pretty important over the mile as well. And yet he has managed to come from behind in the way that he has. It, it was pretty impressive. Um, I don't know where they're going to go with Brave Emperor, but I'd be very keen to see him in something at Royal Ascot. Just because all-weather form translates so well at Ascot. For whatever reason, and uh, Sioux Nation was obviously a, a Royal Ascot winner as a two-year-old, but for whatever reason, the way that track was relayed when the new stand was built, um, when they redeveloped Ascot, all-weather form translates really well there. Uh, and I could see him being a big player in something at Royal Ascot. What that would be, I don't know. Um, and they would both, both Boldak and Brave Emperor would need to take a big step forward to be Group 1 winners. But... Keep in mind, I think they're going to do all right. Um, Saint-Cloud, the pre-Penelope, went to Pincy du Jour. Why are we mentioning this? Because it's a race that Mark and I talked about on Thursday. As this is a horse to, to keep a very close eye on. Uh, she was odds on. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the Kazakhstan jockey, who is a three-time champion jockey in Germany and is now riding for Andre Fab. Um, Mark embarrassed me by effortlessly getting it right. I balls it up, and I'm afraid I'm going to balls it up again. So the gentleman was excellent on her, um, and and she's going to have, I would imagine, a pretty damn good season. Uh, Aidan O'Brien was talking today about how they were disappointed with Library, and she's going to get cheek pieces the next day, pleased with the run from Be Happy. Um, but Barry, did you get to see Pensy's du jour? And if so, what did you make of her prospects for the season? I did get to see her, and her wonderful jockey, Morzabayev. What a ride he gave her. And very um, cold! Oh, that's it, that's it. Six years in, in French, and I can pronounce his name. He's not even French, he's um, probably Turkish or something like that. He's from but, Kazakhstan. Um, the winner's French. That, there you go. That yeah, famous I, I, racing I nation. Today, I was out today, we were doing Kazakhstan lessons in skills, so <laughs> look, I still nailed it. Morzabayev. Um, I was watching the replay again, and in commentary, I think the commentator said she's paddling up front. She wasn't paddling up front. I thought she was going forward and forward, clear. Oh, um, sorry. I watched I got, it on mute. Did he actually say that? Yeah, he did. He said she's paddling up front or, or something to that effect. And I was sort of going, oh, no, she's not. And he got the impression that if something had a camp to work, she would have went on again because she was in front a long, long time. And um, thoroughly liked the performance. Two and a half lengths. She beat the second horse. The horse back in fourth place did run on. Uh, is Nick but running off well off the pace didn't do an awful lot early on but um 16 to 1 for the Oaks um I thought it was a taking performance look it's a group three we don't know what be happy and library are like Aiden O'Brien said he was disappointed with library and um, be happy ran satisfactory race but I, I thought the winner done, didn't do an awful lot wrong I thought um she done it the hard way and I just got the impression Emmett that if uh, if something had a joiner there was just more in the tank you know you just got that impression of him yeah I completely agree with you and I think she's a very very interesting one for the French races going forward. I don't know if she's going to come over to Epsom. I wouldn't be too sure that she will, but for the French Oaks, she would be a big player. Um, however, 
we had a bit of a technical issue with Barry just before we came on the air. And so Lucy and I ended up talking about this race just a little bit. And my overall point on this is French racing gets put up on a pedestal as... There's a number of British trainers are announcing that they're either setting up satellite yards in France or they're just gone. Like, they're out of the game because prize money is a joke. And France gets highlighted as, oh, look, they've got all this prize money. There is an example of something that works. And I would agree with that for the most part. They do seem to have an awful lot of things right. Except when it comes to the elite-level group races in France. Yeah, they've got all the prize money. They've got fantastic facilities. They've got brilliant trainers. But the Antarctic went over there um, with Blackbeard, uh, Fraden O'Brien, and won a Group 1. Was it a Group 1 or a Group 2? There was no French representation in the race. Basically, all of their big races are ripe for export. It's British horses. It's Irish horses who are coming over to France and dominating. And... They were not the elite-level Aidan O'Brien horses taking her on uh, at the weekend. So life is going to get tougher for her. But also, Lucy, just trying to figure out what is going on in France. Like, they have all the prize money. They have a, an infrastructure that should suit this, the sport and let it grow. And yet, their races are being dominated by us. On this occasion, they've they've got one that can fight back. And perhaps they will end up winning uh, the French Oaks with her. But... Even just going back a couple of seasons ago, there was a Godolphin horse that during the COVID year, when nobody could travel over there, um, Victor Ladorum, famous horse for Final Form Podcast listeners. Victor Ladorum was a horse I was all about, and he won the French 2000 guineas, but it was restricted to just French horses because no one could travel. The second they opened it up to everybody else, that horse was getting butchered. Left, right, and centre by the Irish and the British horses. So what's your view on what's happening in France, Lucy? Yeah, perhaps they're lacking a bit of talent on their own home soil, aren't they? Because um, um, obviously we're, the UK runners are over there challenging, Irish runners are over there challenging, like you say. Um, you mentioned Victor Ladorum there. I suppose the best French horse last season was v- Vadini, um, mm-hmm. Group 1 uh, group one horse um, won he was the Eclipse, the but then got beaten by Luxembourg in the Irish Champion Stakes. Did, did run really yeah. big race down the arc. Yeah, I love that horse. Um, mm. He was probably their, their best horse. So I suppose wait and see what what um, <laughs> what talent they unearth um, from France this season. Whether this one um, Pens du Pens du Jouar is going to be um, Group One level, I'm not entirely sure. But because as as you mentioned, there, what has she beaten? Um, the the Aidan O'Brien runners were of an okay standard, I suppose. But she hasn't really come under any pressure, and she won it comprehensively. And she won her previous two races um, by even further. So, um, yeah, I think um, probably wait and see, I suppose, whether, whether they have got a, a Group 1 horse in, in their stable somewhere in France. Um, remains to be seen, but um, looking unlikely at the minute. So I like this filly a lot, and, and I think she's going to do quite well. I just I wonder about the overall strength. We'll have to get Laurent back on the show soon, because I wonder about the overall strength of French racing. And I know... When Laurent was last on the show, he was talking about very elegant um, and how the connections of that horse had brought her up to France and, and had chosen France specifically as where she would be trained for the arc. And she ended up not even getting into the race. And uh, look, the whole very elegant project really backfired spectacularly. But 
the connections of the horse felt that French racing did very little to help them. And if they do come back with a different horse, it will not be to France. They'll never go there again. And what, what are they going to say to their friends and other owners down below in Australia about their experience? That they brought a Melbourne Cup winner. Like we, that's one of the big arguments that we have. Oh, Al Winksy, why did we slag off Winks so much? Like, terrific racehorse. She obviously did wonderful things down in Australia, but she never travelled. Like, I would have loved to have seen her even in Dubai uh, taking on the the best of the world, but she never had to do that. Um, and and here you've got an, an example of the Australians actually going out of their way to bring a horse over to to Europe to compete over the intermediate over the middle distance trips, which is what you want to see. Their sprinters can dominate, but can their middle middle distance horses do the same? And they just seem to be blocked every step of the way. So I don't know. French racing seems to be shooting themselves in the foot. Um, but this horse can absolutely move forward. If you haven't seen her race yet, uh, Pensee de Jour, P-E-N-S-E-E space D-U space Jour, J-O-U-R. Uh, you can watch on the At The Races YouTube page. Uh, she is very impressive, but what is going on in France? Or, or t- just type in the jockey's name and it's handier to, uh, oh, Jesus to get a look. Oh, um, Yeah, as you said, the Kazakhstan lessons that I was out for. Um, William Hill. Have been handed a 19.2 million pound fine. Uh, they were found to have failed to apply a 24 hour delay between receiving a request for an increase in a credit limit and granting it. One customer was allowed to immediately place a hundred thousand pound bet when his credit limit had been set at 70,000. Also, credit limits just what. Uh, failing to identify certain customers at risk of experiencing gambling-related harm and failing to carry out checks at an early stage in the customer's journey. One customer lost £14,902 in 70 minutes. One customer was allowed to open a new account and spend £23,000 in 20 minutes with no checks. And another customer was allowed to open up a new account, spend 32500 over two days without any checks. Uh, this was coming to William Hill because the BBC did a documentary years ago, uh, a good 10 years ago, about online gambling. And they highlighted a, an instance where, this I think she might have been working for Barclays, uh, but she was an executive assistant to the CEO, uh, but a very high-level ranking job, or at least one of the major executives. And... The first time she ever backed a racehorse was a 33 to 1 shot and the horse won. And she places another bet on a horse, wins at 20s, places another bet, the horse wins at 50s. Just this remarkable story of incredible luck getting getting involved. She soon developed a gambling addiction. So bad that she started to steal from the bank to fund it. Uh, she had no idea how much she'd stolen, but she was taken on VIP days out by William Hill, who never asked her where she was getting the money from, how she was able to fund all of this. Um, And she had no clue how much she had burned through, just that she was stealing to fund her gambling. The bank, it can't have been Barclays, the bank ended up in some kind of a merger. And as part of that, the management structure was being completely dissolved and her job was no longer available. So they gave her redundancy. And she broke down in tears with her fiance. And he's like, oh, you know, you'll get another job. And she's like, no, I was stealing from the bank. So he told her, own up to it, go to them now and just beg forgiveness. She does this. The police were called instantly. 
And they asked her, do you know how much money you've stolen? She's like, no. no. £450,000 plus. And William Hill never once went, how is somebody in your position able to bet this kind of money? So this was, that was there. That was then. It was highlighted by the BBC back then. And the BBC is no friend of racing. But um, this is a bad one, Barry. This is a very, very bad one. Yeah, it, it is a bad one. And we all have to abide by the rules. Um, some of us mightn't like the rules and your affordability checks and this and that. But these seem to be extreme cases. Um, and how they've let them go is, look, it's, it's very worrying. Um, look, I know from our own job, we're, we're well trained and we're regularly trained about up this and these courses you have to do um, with these gamblings and, and, and laws and stuff like that. Well, we all have to do them, but William Hill have just flippantly, they've let people get away with, with bets that they shouldn't be getting away with. These are huge amounts of money without having any checks. Um, fellas losing, you're talking about tens of thousands and in little over an hour, like, you know, it, it, it's bad. Look, and I know we have, look, we're all against these checks. Some of us are against these checks. You want to have a bet. You don't want them in, in, intruding in your, you know, you don't have to be sending in bank statements. But look, if you and I were gambling these sort of sums, which we wouldn't be anyway, but if we were, you'd sort of want somebody to check on you if you're losing that sort of money. And if you couldn't lose it, then you can't lose it. Like we're all maybe moaning about not being able to get two or 300 quid in a horse that we want to be, but, these are hugely excessive cases, and it should have been copped. It wasn't copped, and I think it's a justified fine. Oh, it's a completely justified fine, and yeah, and and it's going to make it harder for. I'm just talking there about getting your your two hundred and three hundred pound bet on. Like you're running the mill punter who does nothing wrong, who who gets his wages, pays his bills, pays that, and then he has a few quid to have a bet. It's going to make it harder now for him to get a bet on because they're probably going to bring in more checks off the back of this. Other companies would be going, geez, we can't afford to get hit with this sort of a fine. Let's bring in more checks. And it's just because of their their greed or their stupidity or whatever it was. I'm only speaking for myself now. But their greed, their stupidity, it's going to filter down and it's going to be harder, believe it or not, for, for your, your responsible gambler um, to get a bet on. Because it's going to be more focused on how do we stop this? We have to make sure we're on top of it. And it's going to filter down to the people who are responsible gamblers. Uh, and, and they're the ones that are going to be hurt. But... Barry, I mean, you're working for a, a big betting company and obviously you have to adhere to all this stuff. And I've been in these meetings as well where you're having to sit there bored, senseless for three hours talking about money laundering. It was never in a role that had anything to do with that, by the way, but you're still sent into these bloody things to to have to observe it because we all have to know about this stuff and it's just, it's part and parcel of it. And yet, and yet regular listeners to this show are being clamped left, right, and center, not just by William Hill, but by other betting companies, by other uh, bookies who are telling them, no, you, your, your incentives are all gone. You're, you want to have 100 quid on that horse. Well, actually, you can have a tenner at SP. You know, these kind of dirty, shady games are being placed. It, essentially, if you're any good at betting at all, you are finding it extremely difficult to place a bet. And the affordability checks are intrusive, and they are over the line. And the government has even told them that. The government has, has said to the Gambling Commission, this is too much. If somebody wants to have a bet, it's up to them. There is personal responsibility. And yet the whole thing just seems to be a complete mess. And Neil Channing was making the point on Look on Sunday yesterday that why are there not suspensions handed out? But there have been suspensions handed out. Matchbook had their license gone for 10 months. Like, they do ban firms. It's just a matter of 
is this something that they should be banned for? And why is it that these people who are, I'm assuming, were susceptible, maybe they all have this kind of money to be able to gamble, but how is it they're able to get 19 grand on 34 grand, 20 grand, somebody losing 20,360 pounds in 12 days? Well that's, well, that's how you're, you've answered your own question. That's how they're able to get it on because, you know, if, if you're losing that sort of money that quickly, we obviously know you don't have an edge. Uh, and look, I, I agree, it is ridiculous, but that's that was the point I was making. It's harder for you and I to get on because you cannot blame bookmakers. And I know you might say there's, there's two sides of looking at it going up, have a pair of balls and take a bet, but it, it's hard. There's not a lot of bookmakers out there. Okay, apart from your, your maybe your big four or five, there's not an awful lot of bookmakers out there that can afford to be hit with fines of 19 million, they'll, they'll go under instantly. Oh, yeah. So you have to look at it from, from their point of view. They have to have everything in place and they have to have everything. They can't afford to be a William Hill and go, ah, just let them have a bet because the company will close and jobs will be lost and they literally can't afford it. But these bigger companies, they should be hit with bigger fines um, because 19 million to William Hill is not an awful lot of money in the grand scheme of things, believe it or not. But some other companies who have to follow the same guidelines. 19 million will wipe them out completely and everybody who works for that company will be gone. Well, so, and, and, and it's because of these fines and the flippancy of that company that everybody has to, to do their job to, a, to a, a more stringent level. Well, they are a big firm, but I don't believe for a second they can just absorb a 19.2 million pound hit and just go, oh, well, shrug our shoulders and move on. That they have to do a fundamental change on what it is they're, they're doing. They have to now have a, a good long look at themselves and and figure out to make sure this can't happen again. Like if they get hit with another one, surely the next time it would happen, they would be suspended. And another smashing up of 19.2 million or whatever it would be the next time is not really sustainable. They're a huge firm, but you can't be hit with those level of fines. Uh, but a, again, just doing more of a deep dive into why were they fined so much, Lucy? One customer staked 19 grand in a single bet. They did not obtain documentation from the customer who staked uh, £39,324 and lost £20,360 in 12 days, nor did they get evidence of uh, earnings or bank statements uh, from a customer who lost, who staked £276,942, losing £24,395 over two months. Now, the overall point here is these are extortionate amounts of money. It's extraordinary that people are betting that amount, and good luck to them if they've got it. Like, that's great. If you're a footballer and you're earning that kind of money the whole time, maybe you can just donk it off like that because it's going to come back next week to you. Maybe that is the kind of foolish attitude that these people have. But what about listeners to this show who are trying to get 50 quid on, a fiver on, a tenner on, mm. and they're being told, nah, nah, you, you, no, no, you can't. You can have a fiver, a two to one. It's just, it, it's ridiculous that there is such a a disparity between somebody who is a fan of this sport and they spend hours going through form, they're listening to this show, they're listening to Nick Luck, they're completely absorbed with the sport. Like, Abby McGregor was on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about the big problems that racing faces. And we'll have Abby back on again because that show did really well. And she spoke eloquently and highlighted a lot of, a lot of stuff. Uh, I haven't been really, I haven't been very well for the last week or so, and so I haven't spoken to Abby, but I know that she sent me a message saying... Ladbrook shut her account down. Now, Abby is not a big-time punter. She's a racehorse owner. She'd be shrewd enough. She would be good. But she's no she's no big-time player. She's not a Tony Bloom coming in, putting down a, a massive satchel of cash. 
And there's a big firm just going, yeah, whatever, you're gone. You're out, out the gap. Meanwhile, other people who are chronic gamblers can seem to seemingly bet as much as they want, Lucy. Yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? Because um, as you both mentioned there, it's going to be the, the middle of the road punters that will suffer because, um, and hopefully they're not going to get put off because obviously racing needs all, all the revenue and money from these gambling firms um, to support the industry. So um, it's just the, the large sum of money that, get, that are getting bet, obviously it is harder to control and check. Um, put these safety checks into measure and and I'm not sticking up for William Hill in any shape or form because it's one of the biggest or it is the biggest fine that any gambling firm has ever had to encounter and it's not the first time that William Hill have been fined I think it was back in 2018 they were they were fined but for a lot less money but yeah it's very serious because William Hill were very close to getting suspended their license uh, getting suspended so that's how serious it is um, yeah I, I mean obviously hopefully lots of um things is going to be put into place now a lot more security checks uh, around people's money and their affordability um and hopefully it can be addressed and hopefully it won't happen again um as well i think william hill has been uh sort of overtaken by um somebody else since since those those problems were yeah there's been they, they've basically completely restructured the management uh, yeah yeah so let's hope that does help um i'm not sticking up for william Hill in any shape or form but um they were under different management when when these um affordability um problems happen so yeah it, it's the middle of the road punters that are betting on smaller amounts that are going to suffer and get put put off um because i suppose it's the easiest check isn't it and manage um when you're not betting such large sums of money um but doesn't make any excuses and um yeah, it's um, pretty shocking news when everyone heard about it. Yeah, and they're not the only ones. There are plenty of other firms who are getting banned and, uh, and well, not so much banned, uh, but getting heavily fined. And this is all happening in the midst of the Derby trying to seek out a new sponsor with Kazoo deciding they're exiting stage left. And the theory has been put forward, Barry, about a bookmaker becoming a sponsor. Now, I don't have any objection to a bookmaker sponsoring the Derby. But there are a number of people within British racing who don't like the idea, just full stop, do not like the idea of the marquee race of the season, arguably in Europe, but certainly in the United Kingdom, being sponsored by a betting company. And they certainly don't like it when there's headlines like this about William Hill going on. Yeah, headline aside, um, I, like you, I don't have an issue with a bookmaker sponsoring it. how can we have an issue with a bookmaker sponsoring the Derby when we have every top trainer sponsored by a different bookmaker, whether exactly. it be Paul Nichols, whether it be Nicky Henderson, whether it be, you know, plenty of trainers are sponsored by bookmakers. To me, that's a worse look. A worse look is a trainer sporting a certain uh, betting company's hats and jackets and all the horses in certain robes. That, to me, is a worse look than... Um, a derby sponsor and um, i think if a bookmaker wants to sponsor a derby why not they sponsor enough other races uh, throughout the season so why not have the opportunity to sponsor um another big race i, I don't see the issue with this at all um in fact i'd rather have a bookmaker sponsoring it than uh, what was it ever ready or something like that some of these sponsors that they used to have um i, I think they just yeah I, I don't see an issue with it emma's and um, i know the timing is poor because of the william hill issue but yeah, for me, the worst look is trainers being sponsored by bookmakers. That's worse. Uh, I have no issue with it with a bookmaker sponsoring the Derby at all. See, I don't 
really have too much of an objection to trainers or jockeys being sponsored by bookmakers, but I... No, I, no, neither do I, but I mean, it, that's to me, that's a worse look. Like, if people are getting up on arms about, about uh, the bookmaker sponsoring a derby, well, well, hold on, this looks worse, surely. Well, but I don't have an issue with either, to be honest. Yeah, where, where I take an objection to, and it would be the specific companies, is if you've got a, a bookmaker sponsoring a trainer, sponsoring a jockey, and then creating all this content, and it's under the guise of, come bet with us, come bet with us, we're fun, we're great, we're this, th-. and you go to have a bet on, and it almost goes back to our previous conversation they're, t- they're telling you, oh, you want to have a bet? Oh, great. Uh, submit your DNA evidence and the blood of your firstborn child. Then you can have a bet with us. Like, yeah. Hang on. What? You're trying to encourage, but you're sponsoring people in racing uh, to encourage people to have a bet with you. And then when people actually do have a bet with you, you're like, yeah, no. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Restricted. But get yourself onto the Bet Exchange. You won't be restricted there, Ennis. Two percent. Get as much as you want, Tom. Well said, Barry Cole. That's the way to do it, boy. That's proper cross-promotion branding there. Um, but no, it, it is it is weird. I, I have no problem with the Derby being sponsored by a bookmaker. Lucy, does it leave a sour taste in your mouth? No, it doesn't. I think because I've grown up in the sport, Ellen, and I've seen the Epsom Derby sponsored by um, betting firms in the past, so I see no, nothing wrong with it. I think it's just what you're used to. It. I think that's the way the world's going now. It's public perception. Um, isn't it a, a lot of these uh, um, reasonings behind uh, Exxon coming out saying we'd rather have no sponsor um, than have a betting firm? Uh, I think it's um, a lot of a lot of it is to do with the public perception. So yeah, I personally see see no problem with it. Um, you know, without without uh, the betting companies and betting firms, racing wouldn't make any money or very. You know, it, it, the gambling firms have a have a lot to do with horse racing and how the industry is run and makes its money. So it's a tricky one, but I don't personally see any problem with a, a betting firm sponsoring I the think, race. I think the bigger question is where have Investec and Vodafone gone? Where have the, it used to be the Lexus Gold Cup at the Christmas meeting at Leopardstown. Well, it's still the Lexus Melbourne Cup. And I know that the chief executive of Lexus was a massive racing fan at the time when the Leopardstown race was sponsored by them. So why have Irish racing not been able to go and get Lexus back? Uh, why are British racing not able to attract Mercedes, BMW, Audi to sponsor these big... Like, there's all these big blue-chip brands. You've got ITV's cameras focused on these races. You've got Sky's cameras, Racing TV's cameras. Every major news, publication, internet, and print media are going to put out photographs of horses winning with those sponsors' names in the mainstream press. And yet, it appears as though we can't get any of these blue-chip brands to actually come in and sponsor the sport. And that doesn't make any sense to me, Lucy. Well, probably we haven't got the funds that these bigger countries have. You mentioned there, like the Lexus, uh, Lexus Melbourne Cup. Obviously, it's probably a bit more money over in Australia to be paying the sponsors to come in and sponsor your race. That's what that's what I would think. There's probably less money in in, um, in the revenue in the industry over in this country than there is uh, in diff- in other countries around the world. I don't know about that because if take for example, if if it became the Lexus Derby, like the Lexus name is is already a big prestige brand name, but now all of a sudden it's going around the world on Britain's most famous race, arguably. 
You, know, you can say that well, about the Cheltenham Gold Cup. You can say it about the... Jesus. You and I are both going to get slated, Lucy, because I've, I've done something. By saying Epsom Derby, I've put it in your mind, and you've called it the Epsom Derby. So you're getting slated online by the purists. I'm getting <laughs> slated for it as well. The Derby. But th- the fact is that because of... like This is where ITV's benefit is, is huge. It's not just the fact that uh, they are going to be supplying horse racing to every home in the United Kingdom, which has the potential to turn all of the people who are watching there into fans who were not fans before. There's a huge reach, but also it's a huge reach for the sponsors. There's a huge reach for the advertisers who decide that they want to go and support racing. But they're not doing it, and I don't understand how that's not the case. I I can't understand how these big-wig executives who talk the talk at the BHA, uh, and it's not necessarily their job, but they can pave the way to make things easier for the racecourses and for these big races to attract sponsors. I don't understand how, Barry, we've got into this situation where it's almost a comfort blanket where every race is now sponsored by a bookmaker. This is not how it used to be 20 years ago. You'd look at Cheltenham and there were big blue chip brands or other companies sponsoring horse races. Now every second race is a bookmaker-sponsored event, and that's just narrowing your playing field. You're narrowing the amount of, of people that you can actually rely on, because if this government white paper takes a, a radical approach to gambling advertising laws, then racing's in for a really rude awakening. Yeah, it's it's a very good point, Emmett. It is a very good point. And I don't know, maybe as people resting on their laurels thinking, look, we don't have to sponsor this. We know they're going to come back next year. And maybe we don't have to go out and get the sponsors because we know they're going to they're gonna come and sponsor it anyway. And I think something similar happened this in, was it Snooker not so long ago, when they were heavily sponsored by yes. tobacco and alcohol, I think they were. Um, and that looked in trouble for a while. But now, again, I think there's an awful lot of bookmaker sponsoring super events. And maybe that doesn't have such a great look now when we see what's happened to the Chinese players. Now, I know it's a completely different sport, but um, there's not a lot of match fixing going on in that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it happened, it happened to the snooker industry a while ago. They were heavily, heavily sponsored by tobacco and alcohol. And, yeah, if the white paper comes in and they're not careful... That would be a huge blow, but probably over 60% of the race is sponsored by Bookmaker. And all of a sudden, if that sponsorship money goes, oh, wow, what a blow that would be. It just seems really naive from the bigger picture of racing to not diversify the revenue income streams for the sport. And I, I'm really struggling to understand how you don't go to a big brand like Land Rover, Jaguar, like take the the major blue chip British brands. You don't even have to be looking at Lexus, BMW, Mercedes. Look at the big British brands and try to strike deals with them. You've already had Vodafone on board. You can't get three. You can't get Vodafone back. You've lost Hennessy, but surely you could get Jemson or somebody. Like these companies want to promote their brand, and you can look after them. Like arguably, you can treat the corporate sponsors in racing far better than anybody else can. Arguably, the only one that could properly outdo you is the Premier League. If you've, if Jurgen Klopp and the entire Liverpool team are coming in to shake the hand of the CEO uh, and the people who are sponsoring this event, they'll, they're going to be back. But horse racing can do the exact same thing. You've got, an in, you've got the corporate boxes you can give them. There's the, the lavish entertainment that they can have on. It's an entire day's racing. You give them all of those things to make sure that they're coming back because it's their money it's going to be important. And if you get a big blue chip British brand or a big global entity to come in and sponsor a major race, that lends prestige to it as well. If it's the Mercedes-Benz Derby, the BMW Derby, that's huge. These are big brands. I don't, 
they obviously don't they obviously don't think it's worthwhile in it do they the brands or there's obviously a money issue there they don't think it's um going to be appealing enough to you know draw in new customers um there's obviously a money issue there as well probably uh, i mean whether uk racing has far less money to offer than it did in the past you mentioned their vodafone they sponsored the derby for 13 years in, in the old days and big firms like that aren't seen anymore um we're losing them to the betting companies like you say betfair ascot chase etc etc so there's obviously something going on isn't there obviously the sponsors don't think it's worthwhile or that there's you know it's it's um racing aren't going to be paying this the big brands enough money to for them to be there yeah that and that's the the key thing what has gone on in racing in the last 10 15 years that has resulted in probably a lack of funds lack of funds but i also think it's the the countless targeting of our sport and trying to make out that it's this horrible thing that oh, these animals are are being appallingly treated they're all prisoners oh save them all like it's just some absolute nonsense that gets put out there about the sport um and that's yeah, but there, is, there is a perspective issue as well you know people looking at it from the outside looking in they don't really want to maybe they don't want to have their brands related with horse racing at the moment with this whole whip issue with these like you see these panorama panorama programs that are going on about problem gamblers and fines and you know maybe they, they maybe they want to just sponsor you know a football match or something different because from the outside looking in if you don't really know the sport it can look a bit a bit iffy if you know what I mean well now you've nailed maybe it just don't want their brand associated with that you have nailed it there because our friends in Australia who love this show um, our friends in Australia hello Peter Moody uh, they booked Taylor Swift to play the Melbourne Cup a few years ago. And it was this big thing, come to the Melbourne Cup, Taylor Swift is going to be playing. And the animal rights activists... We groups, are scouting for girls at Goodwood. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, continue. It's scouting for girls. And a bit of Ollie Moore's after racing. Meanwhile, down under... Taylor Swift. Uh, the animal rights activists all got together and pounded her social media. How can you do this? How can you play? It's a murderous sport. Oh, you're terrible. And she dropped out. She dropped out because of the pressure they put on. So are these big brands then also looking at that? And if, if any of them do sponsor an event, how many of them are being targeted by bots and, um, uh, these animal rights groups who are getting together large swarms of people to just hit them with coordinated attacks, but, oh, it's a terrible sport. How could you possibly be involved in that? This is where the BHA comes in. It's not their job to go and source out these these um, major clients, but it could be their job to set meetings with the branding and marketing teams of these major firms, even if you can sit down with the CEO and talk to them about how this is how this is what British racing is. It's uh, an incredible sport. It employs thousands of people across the country. It's got hundreds of thousands of people following the sport. It's got a fan base of millions around the world. And look at the access that it has. Look what it can get you. Your brand can be on ITV. Your brand can be on NBC in in the US. Your brand can be on Channel 10 in, in Australia. It can go all around the world. The The... There, there are infinite possibilities to being involved in horse racing, and this sport is set to explode. Come on board. Are they doing that? 
Are they doing anything to sell it? Are they doing anything to encourage people? Or are they just going, oh, Hennessy are out. Right. Well, Ladbrokes Carl, will, will they sponsor the race? Grant, give it to them then. Because it's just reductive thinking to keep going back to bookmakers over and over again when only 15 years ago you did have major blue chip companies sponsoring our sport and the more of them that go away and are not being sought out after and maybe the BHA don't have the facilities to be able to do this maybe they don't have the the option to be able to go and reach out but lads do something like you've got you can't just sit in your hands look at the amount of companies who sponsor formula 1 the amount of companies yes. who sponsor different sports there are, look at the amount of companies who sponsor show jumping all these big prestige elite brands are happy to have their names alongside show jumping. Well, that doesn't get anywhere near the coverage the horse racing does. So why can't we get them to our sport? What is happening at the management level, the management structure level of racing, that seems to be this massive disconnect between where the sport is and where it needs to be? A disconnect between where the sport has been and the influence that it has had with major brands and fans and where it is now. It's pretty depressing. Yeah, you mentioned there about show jumping and Formula One and um, eventing as well. Emmett, it's another big sport that, sure. like, um, like the badminton horse trials are sponsored by Rolex. I think you've got the Land Rover Burley horse trials as well. So yeah, big brands sponsor those events, but they're they're few and far between. Whereas racing, we have every day of the year, nearly three hundred and sixty-five days of the year. So. Um, it's a lot widespread, isn't it? But yeah, the, those other sports are better funded um, as well and they have the bigger brands that are supporting them. But they're not better funded though, Lucy. That's the thing, is that maybe those sports are just well, on a more personal level no- with, with those companies. Maybe those sports have people who are working in them who are better at reaching out to these companies to get them on board and are better at explaining... Look how great show jumping is. You want to be part of this? It's great. Come, we'll we'll sort you out with a corporate day. We'll look after you. Like show jumping is a terrific sport, and I, I love, I absolutely love it. But show jumping has got nothing on horse racing, and yet yeah. that's got Rolex and all of these other prestige brands involved. Imagine if, imagine if it was the Rolex Derby. It's just that's instant prestige. You've got one of the most important races in the world with a prestige brand. It just it the whole thing gets elevated. Yeah, something's going on there, isn't it? Like you mentioned about the BHA, they've probably got um, not bigger fish to fry, but they've probably got in-house uh, things to sort out. So they probably don't look outside the box and and reach out to uh, big brands like they probably should be doing. They probably obviously got in-house uh, works to be doing. Yeah, to be clear. It, it only takes one or two as well. And it's, sorry, like if you've got a Rolex and you've got a Coca-Cola in, you'll get other big companies looking in and go, okay, yes. we're missing the trick here. Why are they there? You know, let's, but if you've nothing in there, nobody wants to be the first to be associated with it. If from public perception, it looks a little bit dodgy and maybe a little bit cruel and the whip issue and, you know, you need somebody to take a chance or you need the, 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 the marketing team of the BHA to go out and actually do a bit of work and, and, and try surely not every company surely there's some big company out there that has some sort of a director or who's in the marketing team that likes horse racing and say right come on we'll give this a go but the fact that no sponsor apart from bookmakers are coming aboard it's it doesn't reflect well on, on the marketing team if you ask me no it doesn't and i'm sure there are plenty of people listening to this right now going jesus you give the bha a woeful going over but you're massively wrong on this one like this is not the bha's fault this is not their job to fix this they can get involved. They run the sport. 
It's the BHA's moral and literal job to protect the interests of horse racing, to protect the sport, to do what's absolutely necessary and best for it, and to protect its interests going forward. And that can reach to them going to the Jockey Club and ARC and RMG and saying, all right, look, what are you guys doing to attract major blue chip sponsors? And how can we help? What can we do to help? That's all they've got to do. And we can't have it being a RMG sign up Rolex and all the others and ARC or with Casio. Like it, it, it should be a combined thing. It should be these companies being able, this, this sport being able to attract in the biggest sponsors and having them proud to be part of it. But part of the reason why they're not possibly is these bloody animal rights groups. And they're at it again. Uh, robust policing plans in place for Grand National Day after reported sabotage plot by activists. Now, I, I was trying to remember the name of the car company earlier on, and I, I can't. It might have been Mercedes. It could have been Porsche. But some prestige vehicle brand were doing the launch of a new car. And as they're doing it, in come animal rights activists. And they super glue their hands to to the car and to the ground and they start chanting and roaring about how they want this, they want that, they want the other. Um, what was the response from the car manufacturer? They turned the lights off, walked away and just held the press conference in another room and then shut the whole place down, left and left them there for the night. Gave them no air, gave them no oxygen, just ignored the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, listen, you want to make a fool of yourself, that's crying. So if these people are going to do some kind of a protest at the Grand National meeting and they do superglue themselves to the ground, it's going to be harder to hide that, but get the green screens out. Get the big green screens out, shove them around them and just be like, yeah, all right, on you go. You want to make a fool of yourself, on, on you go and do that. Um, but it does also highlight, Barry, the, the fact that animal rights groups are all out to get racing. And this was one of the big things I had about the whip rules and changing them that you are all you are doing is trying to placate to a crowd that are never going to like this sport they're never going to be interested in it Julie Harrington comes out and says it's not about that it's about making the sport look better yeah whatever uh, again they're changing the, the whip rules by the way like Harry Cobden was a pubic hair away from a totting up procedure suddenly that's been changed like th- those whole th- just because we're not talking about them as much as we used to does not mean that that is the whip rules are, are great. No, it's for benefit of our own mental health that it's just, it's a farce. Um, but this is a bit of a mess that this particular group are are trying to, to launch a massive protest, not just having their placards outside of entry, but actually doing something quite nefarious inside the race course. Look, oh, I have to be careful what I say here without going overboard. No, Barry, go for these it. People will, You're off the leash. Oh, these will never, they'll never be happy, these people. Never be happy. Like, they've done it at the Epsom Derby last year. Some of them went out onto the track. They chained themselves to the winning post at Ascot a couple of years ago as well. They are chaining themselves to goalposts at soccer matches. They, as I said, are gluing themselves to, um, to, uh, to, to cars. And then they're going around throwing painting windows of car rooms. Like, it's just... Just to me, they think they have, you know, they think they they think they're doing right, but Jesus, they're not. Like, like if they got the Grand National cancelled, right? That we're going to cancel the Grand National, right? Then they go, right? What are we going to do now? Uh, something to do with oil? Uh, stop oil and we'll chain ourselves to a goalpost in the Premier League match. You know that way. Just and the, the funny thing about this is, it's not funny. 
if they make it onto the track at the wrong time in the Grand National and they decide to sit down on the far side of Beecher's Brook or something like that, and, and one of them is killed, it's going to be horse racing's fault. You know, it's not going to be these people's fault who, who jumped in at the, far, the landing side of Beecher's Brook. It's just, it's just a mess. And I really do fear because if they're that determined to get in, how are you going to police that in? Like, they're, they're, they were talking about they're going to, they, they found a, um, an easy way to get in and jumping walls and this and that. But, but my God, like, how easy is it to get into a race course? If you pay the money, you can just go in as a general race goer. I know it will be expensive on, on Grand National Day, but anybody can get in if you have your ticket and, and cause and cause murder, if you know what I mean. So how are you going to know who's an activist and who's not? So the worrying thing about the Grand National is if they really want to disrupt this, they really can. Like if me and you wanted to disrupt the Grand National this year, we can. We can buy a ticket, we can go to Beaches Brook and we can just do something silly as the horses approach it. Well, I mean, uh, what I would, how are the police going to know that we're... What well, I would say though about that is Lucy and I would have been, in the ITV days, would have been going to Aintree together because you're all on the same bus on, on the way there. And we would arrive quite early and even arriving early, the amount of security checks are, are unbelievable. And I commend the the um, the UK policing and, and the Liverpool police for how well they do it. Like, the, they check mm. everything. They do the same thing at, at Royal Ascot when it's the Metropolitan Police, but at, at Aintree, they were... I think the only morning, Lucy, where you and I weren't checked, ironically enough, would have been <laughs> Animal Aid had protesters outside uh, a second entrance that we were going. It would have been, like, the far entrance all the way down the other side because we were both headed to the truck for the opening show. Um, and, and, yeah. But there was still security there. And even if we had brought something in that we shouldn't have, that wasn't going to last very long because the second we were in the press room, the police dogs started coming in and checking the place. I don't know whether they were just suspicious of me. I'm like, what's this Irish character doing? Uh, and how many painkillers are in that bag of his? But the, the security <laughs> is very impressive. Like, they do do a, a huge amount, and I know it can be frustrating for fans at times, but when your bag is being turned upside down. But they're, they are doing it for everybody's benefit. Uh, and it's great that yeah, they... They, they, can, they, can, they can... It, it is great they that they, they uncovered this before anything happened. But just, it doesn't help the meeting itself, Lucy. Like, you're trying to... We've just had a, a, a Cheltenham festival where 22,000 people less turned up on the Wednesday and Thursday. And now you've got the Grand National meeting, and all eyes are going to be on that in terms of what kind of uh, attendance is going to be there. Is it going to be sold out? Is it going to be as good as it was last year? Is the number going to be increased from 2019, or is it going to be down? I suspect it's going to be down. Um, but these kind of headlines don't help when you're trying to attract corporate sponsors, and they don't help when you're trying to get regular fans in. They don't help, but the fact that these headlines are happening now makes you think that... Um the, the robust plans that are being put in place are going to be very, very tough. I think it's going to be very hard to, for anybody to sabotage the Grand National, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, obviously it's a bit worrying that there has been a plot um, to do it. But I, I think, yeah, we should condemn, condemn the um, the UK really for, for their security and policing of bigger sporting events like Cheltenham Festival and Grand National. I mean, I, I haven't really come across any problems, but um, and probably should create, play credit to them. So, yeah, the fact that we're talking about this now, um, I think they'll do everything in their utmost, the police and security, to make sure that uh, the Grand National is not sabotaged. Yeah. It doesn't help, though, when you're trying to attract these big sponsors. And also, it is just confusing, even with the incredible amount of security measures that are taken, that you can still be at these race meetings and 
literally, I do remember looking at Lucy at, at one point. I don't want to say the race course. You can guess. I was having my second five espressos in a latte uh, go in, in, in the space of an hour just to try and keep me going. And uh, somebody came up to us and was making the point that a lot of those in attendance had half the King's Cross up their nose. How the hell are they getting the drugs in? There's such, there's so much policing around. It's so brazen. So if you can get coke in, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to get super glue in. Um, speaking of drugs, John Butler suggested that one of his horses was got at. This is quite worrying. Um, a horse who was sent off, 72 second favorite at Chelmsford, never got into action. Uh, and he said in a submission to a panel afterwards that his horse was, inverted commas, got at. Um, and uh, a McNeese, who was being asked to, to comment on this, also said, Rory McNeese, who's a representative of the yard, said, the science points to the administration of the substance before he ran. Uh, he is He's alleged that it's a pig tranquilizer, or at least a tranquilizer that is normally prescribed by vets to pigs. Um, Barry, you work with greyhounds a lot. And I, I've heard yeah. endless stories over the years down in Cork uh, of, I'm recording from Kilkenny today, but last two weeks have all been in, in Cork, although last week was actually London, but anyway, there you go. Um, I have heard endless stories from the Cork scene about dogs being fed raw sausages beforehand, uh, not by their trainers, but by others yeah. to stop them from being able to run. Those kind of tricks have always been there, but you just assume in the world of racing that that can't happen anymore. Like, it would have happened in the 60s and 70s when boys were pulling all kinds of strokes, probably the early 80s as well. But with the innovation of CCTV and the security protocols and measures, that sort of stuff shouldn't be able to happen. And yet, John Butler's alleging that it did and highlighting that the CCTV footage was brutal. Yeah, and look, just what you said there, that doesn't happen in Greyhound racing because the measures are so strict. People saying that they fed them just before a race. Like, a Greyhound can't run unless he weighs in at around four percent of what his of what his weight was the last time. So if, if you if you're a great hell and you, and you race at seventy pound, you're hoping to track at seventy six, you're not allowed to run. It's simple as that. So so that and, can't and they weigh the you before way. the race. Down the weight. Weigh you before the race. You, you can't run. And second thing is all the Greyhound stadiums now have brilliant CCTV. The kennels are locked after every race. There's three or four different CCTV and the CCTV is, is crystal clear as well. And you can actually you can actually be sitting in the grandstand of Shelburne Park and watch the CCTV over the far side. There's a screen there. So if you want to sit and watch to make sure nobody went to hear Kennel online, you can do so. So I find it hard reading this article to believe in this day and age if a uh, horseman, which is horse racing, which is allegedly the rich man sport, can't have CCTV like Greyhound tracks. Um, the CCTV was grainy and he's, he's more or less got away with it, really, hasn't he? He's got a 500 pound fine, I think, which is, is not an awful lot. Um, if they, if they thought he intentionally stopped the horse, 500 pounds is nothing. But I find it hard to believe Chelmsford, which is a relatively modern race course when you think of it, it's not like a Chester or anything like that built years ago. Um, they don't have uh, adequate CCTV, and that's the most worrying point. Maybe somebody knew there wasn't adequate CCTV and they knew it would be the place to get away with it if they were trying to, to lay this horse. But there was no irregular betting patterns um, came up for the race. So it's just a strange case all over. If you're, if you're going to try and novel a horse, you, you novel them for a reason then. If you novel them to try and lay them and get a few quid out of it, but no regular um, betting patterns. But it's disappointing that um, a track of Chelmsford standard with the money that's involved in racing nowadays can't have decent CCTV. You see it in your local shop. 
that Peter Murphy owns around the corner, he'll have a decent CCTV on it. It's this, it's a, it doesn't reflect well on the shelf. Wait, you can buy them on CCTV Amazon and, and set them up at home yourself for your own CCTV footage at home if you want. You can literally like super glue a camera to your door that will beep you if someone comes to your door. Like that's the, well, the level of technology that we have now. There is no excuse for these tracks not having CCTV. And we went in hard on the IHRB uh, after the whole Ted Walsh fiasco. And the, guess what? CCTV is still not done. Years later, it's still not sorted out in, in the Republic of Ireland. Never mind the fact that we still don't have sections. Oh, Jesus. Well, it could go down a whole rabbit hole there. But like, this, is, this all came to light because the horse tested positive for a banned substance in 2020. Um, we have talked before on the final furlong about how excuses, elaborate excuses have been given about stable staff members who were drug users urinating in the stable and then the horse drinks that urine. Uh, and that's how they end up getting testing positive because they're getting the transference. But that's not the story here. Um, apparently, there was a, a staff member who used to be on drugs, but that staff member couldn't possibly have been there on that day and no longer works for the yard in the first place. Uh, so the insinuation here is that John Barton did nothing wrong. It's an elaborate defense if, if, he, if he did come up with the story. Uh, he's highlighting it. So I, I don't think he did anything wrong. They're forced into a position where they have to fine him because of the fact that the horse tested positive. But it is quite alarming, Lucy, uh, that John Butler mm. is, is going public about this because it undermines the sport. Like, if anybody starts to think that you've backed a horse who bombs out of a race um, when they're a second favourite or a favourite and there's no explanation being given for it, sometimes horses just don't run the races. They're not machines. But if people start getting it into their heads that... Oh, that horse was got at. That horse was nobbled. That's a dark path for the sport to go down. Yes, yeah, strange in, in all respects, isn't it? I mean, obviously not good that the CCTV is not up to scratch, probably. Um, nighttime racing at Chelmsford as well doesn't help, but uh, they obviously need to look into that and maybe um, do better checks on arrivals, I would say, as well, for, for all the stable staff. Um, I'm, you don't want to be doing that, that sort of thing, do you? But... Um, it's a strange case all round. The fact that the horse has obviously tested positive for um, this drug, and then there's no evidence as to how it's got into the horse's system and where it's come from. Um, lack of CCTV, so it's just a real grey area in all respects. And the fact that the trainers come out and um, very publicly spoken about it, he's obviously, um, you know, he, he's obviously willing to do that and highlight that there's some issues going on there. Yeah, it it just it grossly undermines the sport. Uh, it is staggering to think that in this day and age there is not proper security CCTV footage at all race courses, um, irrespective yeah, but, but again, of the... I mean, this is just this is just the, the sport shooting itself in the foot. This is this is stupid. It shouldn't happen. Exactly. You know what I mean? A simple thing like that, CCTV on the stables. Like how how nineteen seventies is that? Come on, like it's 2023. It's so simple. As you say, you can buy them on the internet for little or nothing, and we still don't have it. It's it's, it's ridiculous. And if people see the opportunity to get to get away with it, look, there's no CCTV here. We can make money. People will make money, and it it, it reflects bad on Chelsea. It really does. It reflects very very badly on them, and they need to take action. Um, part of the reason that, and the first person who said that Davy Russell was going to come back, that I heard say it, was Barry Call on the Final Furlong podcast, a full week before he came back. 
Because when the Jack Kennedy injury came out, Barry instantly goes, oh, will Davey come back? I think Davey's going to come back. And I, I was like, yeah, right, whatever. Dennis O'Regan was on the show with us. Dennis was like, I don't know about that. Suddenly he's back. And part of the reason he gave for his glorious return to the sport was Jack Kennedy being injured and that he's a team player and so he's there to help out. Well, Jack is still out. Hopefully he'll be back for Punchestown. Doesn't seem as though he's going to be back for Fairy House and we wish him well. Uh, Jordan Gainford has not ridden since that brutal fall on Riviera to tell and has no bookings. So he's out. Sam Ewing has uh, broken a bone after that fall in Musselburgh. He's out for the season. So where is Davy Russell, Barry Call? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Look, I'd say it was Cheltenham wasn't his finest hour. Um, there was a couple of sort of iffy rides. I can't remember the name of the horse that he was just beat on by Bridget Andrews. Um, at Cheltenham, you remember that? Horse oh, was it Fildor? Or for or uh, been places? Fildor, yeah. Damn. Yeah, I think it was, it's the same colour as Fedor, the Pied Piper colour. I, think it was I have a feeling Fildor actually ran in the coral. Um, like, was it Firm Footings? Yeah, I think it, I think it could be right. Firm Footings? Pied Piper! Could have been Firm Footings. I wasn't even close. It was Pied Piper. was Pied Piper, wasn't it? Well, there yeah. we go. Um, yeah, and look, the Michael O'Leary comments, I wouldn't say, didn't help. Um, and there was obviously... Like... <laughs> There's obviously more to those comments than meets the eye because Davey, when the comments were put to him, he was ready to come back with a with an answer. If if they were the first time he heard them comments, he might have taken it with a pinch of salt and go, "Oh, I didn't hear him saying that. I'll, I'll see it." But it, like, is there a case for saying Michael O'Leary was genuinely looking out for his health by saying he shouldn't have retired or he shouldn't have come out of retirement? He's gotten to this age; he's had a successful career. He should have stayed at home with his family. You know, was he looking out for him? I doubt it, but. Look, I'm sure Davey now is saying to himself, why did I come back? I come back for nothing. I come back to be publicly humili- humiliated by Michael O'Leary. And um, look, it just, it all sort of left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth. It could have really been like, okay, didn't get a winner over there, but it could have been a, a swan song. And, you know, you would like to see the jocks give him a, a sort of a send-off at Cheltenham without getting a winner, you know, that way. He's been a bit of a legend of the sport. Um, that didn't happen. Um, I don't know. He did, did he ride on the Friday? I don't think so. He did. So it just ended up. He did ride on the Friday, did he? Yeah, well, Davy, he, he, are you you're talking about Davy? Yeah. Yeah. So the he rode in the Albert Bartlett, and then apparently his back was sore, and that's why he was out of the Gold Cup. Yeah, and if, I think if you buy into that, he came back for. Yeah, and Conflada was one of the horses he came back for. Exactly, wasn't it? Yeah. And it ends up not riding them. And if your back is sore, you sort of don't take the ride on the earlier race, do you? You wait for you wait for conflated the one you come back for. So look, it, it just looks from the outside looking in, it looks like a bit of a mess. Looks like it was possibly a bit of a falling out. And then um, nobody really came over good. Nobody really seems to have come over good. And there seems to be a bit of a question mark as to what happened. Um, we don't really know. But if you're coming back. And obviously O'Leary was involved in the decision of him coming back at Russell saying, I want to come back and ride conflated. And then the owner of that horse says a day or two before the race, I don't think the jockey should have come out of retirement. Doesn't reflect good on anybody. There's a breakdown of communication there. And uh, yeah, it's just not a good, not a good look and probably not um a way for Davy to end his career considering the career he had. He probably deserved to go out a bit better than saying I have a sore back and I'm not riding in the gold cup. Yeah. 
I don't buy the whole O'Leary thing at all. Like, that's just Michael O'Leary. He's inclined to just throw out a controversial comment every now and again. Like, some of the stuff he said about the, the Phillies and mares that he's had in training in the past has been eyebrow-raising. Yeah, um, and, and I like a headline. Yeah, he do, exactly. He just, look, he's a playful character. And sometimes he will go over the top. But I, I don't really think there's any malice in what uh, he says. And I, I mentioned it in the Cheltenham Review, how Davey responded to what Michael O'Leary had said on ITV wasn't the best way to handle it. You know, he, he had clearly been, we know for a fact that Sally Grassic said to him, do you want me to ask you about what, what Michael O'Leary said? Um, so he had a response. He knew he was going to say that. And the response he gives is an epic one. I think about as much as, I have as much regard for his opinion as he does mine. It's like, oh, damn, shots fired again. But the thing to say really was, if he doesn't think I should have come back, then should have come back, then why am I riding his horse in the Gold Cup in the most important race of the year? There's a lot of people who could be on that horse, but I'm the one who's on it. Why? That's all he had to say. Uh, take the high road. And it's easier in hindsight to do those kind of things. But that would have been that, damn, Davy Russell is back. He means business and let's see what he does. And in the end, it just goes horribly. Like, you can rewrite his comeback and say, oh, Davy Russell came out of retirement and won a grade one. Yeah, he did. But where it really matters is Cheltenham. And it didn't happen for him. And the whole thing was just a disaster from, from the outside looking in on it. And it's really weird that at a time where he comes out of retirement, Lucy, under the guise of this, I'm a team player, I'm here to help out the team. Well, the team are in desperate need of help now with the amount of jockeys who are currently out injured, and there's no sign of them. Yeah, I think the results obviously didn't go his way, did they, at Cheltenham? Maybe that's had a bearing. Um, the O'Leary comments, that's probably had a bearing, and then he didn't ride the horse in the end in the in the Gold Cup, did he? Conflated. So it's almost like he's pulled the plug now, Davy Russell, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's a worrying time for Gordon Elliott because obviously he's got, um, well, still some big uh, jumps meetings coming up, and... Um, distinct lack of jockeys and yeah it to me it looks as though Davy Russell more or less just came back for Cheltenham now um mm. and then the results results think go his way and he's probably thinking oh, um you know where do I go next or where do I ride next or or when would when will it be yeah and and from a serious perspective like if Davy is and Davy is a legend there's no question about that we all know he's a brilliant jockey but this this whole comeback thing just was a disaster. It didn't work out well. It doesn't it doesn't read well now that there's no sign of him. If it's a sore back that he had that resulted in him missing the ride on Conflators in the Gold Cup, how is that still bothering him weeks later? Um, well, maybe it is. Maybe maybe he has got an injury that he picked up at Cheltenham and he's still recuperating. We don't know. I suppose we just don't know, do we? That's yeah. The, that's the problem. It's, it's also super weird that nothing is being said about it. Because... Yeah. And Barry, you and I spoke about this uh, in the lead up to Cheltenham. Like Davy, after the fall in Gaelic Warriors race at the Dublin Racing Festival, he disappeared for ten days, uh, and uh, to yes. the extent that he hadn't even spoken to Gordon in those days. Like, Gordon said that I haven't spoken to him in ten days. Yeah, so maybe maybe he did have a back issue, and and look, it's hard to to turn down Cheltenham with the book of rides that he had. He had some good rides over there, but um. It just didn't work out, and that's that's the long and short for Brady, isn't it? Yeah, um, but hey, listen, there is there is time for him to come back. 
We got the Grand National meeting at Aintree. We've got Fairy House coming up. I don't think you're going to see Davy Russell riding at any of those tournaments. No, no, they're, they're two tough meetings to come back at when you think about it. If you took a fall on either, either of those big races, when the ground is probably going to be getting a little bit harder. Look, I, I've never taken a fall off a horse, but um, not pleasant. if I was, I'd rather take a fall off a horse in December or January than in, in April or May, you know, when the ground is like a road. So. Yeah, you'd rather fall two in muck meetings. than, than horse, firm punches yeah. down ground. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to see him riding again, but hey. I've been wrong before. Um, to wrap things up, on a brighter note, the flat is back. We are talking about jumps racing and we've got a lot of jumps content to come, but classic thoughts. So 2000, 1000 guineas, Derby, the Oaks, Lucy Russell Hughes. Have you had a bet on the classics yet or are you currently working out your shortlist? Yeah, I'm still working on it, Emma. I haven't had any bets, certainly. Uh, we'll be waiting until nearer the time, but obviously Augusta Roden looks like the horse to be uh, well, the sort of flagship horse this season, doesn't he? And probably more of a dive prospect than 2,000 guineas. Um, but Meditate, obviously, in the 1,000 guineas, I think she has a, a really strong chance. I thought Lizou done well for the Rafe Beckett team mm-hmm. um, because she's won at the track in the past, so handles new market well. But overall, um, I'm looking forward to seeing Augusta Rodan the most this season. Which do you think is going to be better for him or will he take in both? Is he more of a guineas horse or is he more of a derby horse in your mind? Um, he's more of a derby horse in my mind, but I mean, he just looks fantastic, doesn't he? He just looks like the next best thing um, in flat racing. And obviously he won the group one last season, the uh, Verton Futurity over one mile. So yeah, I mean, I think the guineas and then the, the derby, hopefully those two targets he'll accomplish. It's a strange one, Barry, because this is going to be a, a, a Bally Doyle with a waning influence on Galileo. Like Galileo was so important as a stallion and, and obviously an incredibly influential one, but they're now moving away from him because we simply don't have enough of his stock anymore. Uh, and, and so Deep Impact and No Name Ever is coming to the fore and Deep Impact was was huge with August Roden. Uh, and obviously his, his stock... There's not many of these. They don't make them like this anymore, unfortunately. Um, so he is going to be hugely important because Coolmore are investing more and more in Japanese stallions. They're obviously supporting their own American stallions. Justify is one that they're a, a huge fan of, and I think we'll see big things from him this season. No Nay Never, they've invested an enormous amount on. That was hugely successful last year. Uh, but in terms of August Roden, do you see him as a potential Guineas winner? Or like Lucy and, and myself, for the record, is he more of a Derby type in your mind? Um, I'd still like to see him once more this year, uh, Emmett, but I'd probably be more of a derby type, I'd say, but he's very, very short. I think he's five to two for the derby. Um, I haven't had a bet thus far if it was to put up a couple. Um, Aidan O'Brien did, a, did a give a good mention to a horse called Terror of London, who was a very impressive winner on his debut when he was beaten behind it. Augusta Road, I think, at Leperstown. We're quietly fancied, so he's only had the two runs. Um, he's available at 50 to 1, very well-bred horse. Um, I'd I put him up now. Would I have a serious bet on him? No, I'd like to see him run. You're just listening to what Aidan O'Brien said. He said he'd done a good piece of work at the corner when he wasn't really prompted to pull forward a horse. You know the way he sort mm-hmm. of he sort of uh, pulled this one out of left field. Um, and then as regards the the Oak, so I wouldn't mind having a small bet now on a never-ending story. Um, Meditate, obviously, was a better two-year-old. We haven't seen her do it yet, at least with Never Ended Story. We've seen her do it. She's come back as a three-year-old in really good form. I Are you talking about the guineas or, or the oaks, Barry? The oaks, actually. The oaks. I think she'll get that far. Yeah, um, meditate won't, but uh, she absolutely would. 
Yeah, but I think she'll be able to add a bit of 14 to 1 as a decent price. And then a couple of the older horses you'll be looking forward to seeing again from the uh, O'Brien card, uh, Emily Dickinson. Um, she was so good at the Curra yeah. at the end of last season, winning that race by, by over five lengths and going further and further away to finish. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where she goes next. And then just finally to mention White Birch, who was sweet enough on at the start of the show. I think if he was with a bigger trainer, no disrespect to Joe Murphy, he would be a, a pretty big talking horse. And I also thought Matilda Picotti ran quite well, second to Never Ending Story. But uh, it's a bit early for me to have a best. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more water under the bridge, and then we can, then we can, we can, we can pick one. But at the moment, maybe Tower of London at fifty to one for the Derby would be would be a, a small interest bet. I like that. Uh, I like the fact that you're you're reaching for original thinking with, with that one. And um, yeah, the Derby market is an intriguing one because it's it is dominated by August Roden, and listen, God forbid, if he was to get a stone bruise, uh, then that in- the entire complexion of that race completely changes, but I like him an awful lot, and I- I'm becoming more and more alarmed about just how much talk there is going into him for the guineas. Um, whether he can win that or not, and Aiden-, Aiden keeps saying it's going to be up to the lads whether they split them or not, it would make sense to me to just let them both roll. Uh, unleash Little Big Bear in the 2000 guineas. It sounds like he's going to make his debut, in that race, they're not going to give him a prep run. It's a long time off the track to come back, but he's very, very exciting. Aiden did mention potentially dropping back in distance with him as well. They could go sprinting with him, um, but he's very exciting. Uh, to me, August Roden finishing in top three in the Guineas would be an ideal prep for the Derby. And yeah, he's the one they're all going to have to beat. But as you said, that market is is very skewed. It's five to two him, and then it's pretty much whatever price you want about the rest of them. Um, you yeah, can literally get bar, yeah. yeah, you can literally get twenty five to one about the second favorite. So if you can work out, yeah, and it, yeah, if you can figure out now who's going to be that horse, then you put yourself in a really good position. And I would argue, Proud and Regal should be a lot shorter than he is. Um, I guess the Racing Post ratings wouldn't really hold that up. August Roden's got a one three four, Proud and Regal one twelve. I suspect he's an awful lot better than that. Um, that was a fine run behind Al Rifa. He won't go for the Derby. That's been confirmed by Joseph O'Brien today. Espionage is out until the autumn, I think. So Proud and Regal will be going down the Derby trial route, and I'm very interested to see what he can do and how he does it. Um, of the other Aiden O'Brien horses, yeah, Londoner is very, very interesting. Paddington's going to go to France for the French 2000 Guineas. He's going to run in the pre-Jebel this week, first of all. Uh, nothing else there really stands out to me at the moment. I know they're. I mentioned it last week. They're talking up Greenland a bit again. Apparently, it's going to be a different horse this year, but I'd want to see that first of all. Um, so I, I think August Roden is absolutely the one they all have to beat, and he could go even money if he runs a big race in the Guineas. If he wins it, he's odds on because where's the the rivals to him? And and if he finishes top three, he's going to be a little bit like Luxembourg last year. He'll go odds on, or he'll go even money. I would think. And then it's a case of, does a Desert Crown emerge on the scene? Does something else come along? Something will, but if you can work out who that is now, then you put yourself in a, in a really good spot. Um, I think Meditate will win the 1,000 guineas. I like her an awful lot. Um, she had a terrific campaign last year. She danced every dance. And yes, she would need to turn it around with Dermot Wells fully. But the ground that day wasn't perfect. And when she was then beaten by Lazoo, I thought it was a very quick turnaround to go from the Curra to Newmarket. Uh, and she put it right then at the Breeders' Cup. So I, I like her an awful lot. Noni never out of a Dalakani mare. She's a top-class filly, and I think she'll win the 1,000 guineas. Uh, and for the 2,000 guineas, Chaldean. 
I'm I'm torn between Little Big Bear and August Road and, and Chaldean. So just go for the horse that's the bigger price, Chaldean. He's been rock solid. The question is, who's going to be on board? Will it be Oshin Murphy or will it be Frankie Dettori? It's supposed to be Frankie. He's been extended the invitation to ride the horse, at least in the 2,000 guineas. But is Frankie's head going to be turned by Kentucky? Because he's doing so well in America and his agent was on the Nick Look Daily a couple of weeks ago. And of course he was bigging him up because he's his agent. Of course he's got to be bigging him up. But he was saying they are getting offers to ride in Kentucky. So in the Frankie farewell tour, what does he do? Does he run? Does he go for the run for the roses and really try to shoot the lights out in the Kentucky Derby? Or does he ride the third favorite currently and who could be second favorite if he comes out and beats Noel style in the Greenham uh, in Chaldean? I, I think I would go with Chaldean right now. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating. Is there anything else that you're excited to get stuck into, Barry? Anything else that you're excited to get stuck into, Lucy? Um, in terms of the guineas or any other? Any other flat race. Um, I know you put on your list, didn't you, older horses, perhaps. Um, you're looking forward to seeing this either. I'm looking forward to seeing Midnight Mile from Richard Fye's, um stable. I think she's going to line up in the uh, Group 3 Mercedora Stakes at York in May. And yeah, I thought she was so impressive when she won at Newmarket last season as a two-year-old. And she went to the Breeders' Cup and didn't disgrace herself, finishing fourth uh, behind Meditate. So I'm looking forward to seeing her back on the track this season. Nice. Uh, Barry Cole? No, I'm just looking forward to the, the next couple of guineas trials as well, I suppose. Chester, I always look forward to Chester. Chester's a lovely meeting. I was lucky enough to go over there once before. Um, lovely place to watch racing. Very expensive, by the way, as well. But, um, oh, yeah. yeah, lovely track to watch to watch racing at. And um, I always like that meeting. Um, and unfortunately for me, my Bellastown was called off this weekend, which is my local track, my favourite meeting, and I fell victim to the weather. So I think that's been uh, rescheduled. I hope it's been rescheduled. I don't know when at the moment, but um, I always look forward to a bit of Bellastown. Uh, the older horse that I'm looking forward to seeing is Luxembourg, primarily because last season he had so much potential and it got a little bit derailed, and he still managed to come out and win the Irish Champion Stakes. I suspect it was just a hard race there that cost him the arc. Uh, it's great that he's back in training, and it sounds like he's going down the Duke of Marmalade, Dylan Thomas route. Pre-Ganet, Tabasol's Gold Cup, Prince of Wales Stakes. Maybe a break, or keep him rolling to the King George. Jobmont International, Irish Champion Stakes, arc. Just let him roll. Let him take them all in. But the, the original plan from Aiden right now would be the Dylan Thomas route. Pre-Ganet, followed by the Tattersalls Gold Cup, and then onto the Prince of Wales Stakes, which he's 6-1 to one for. Too big. Way too big. And very excited about him. And talking to Aiden O'Brien as well. Uh, but more on that to come. Um, anything else from the weekend to highlight Barry? Um, a horse that won at Doncaster on Saturday was very impressive. Visually on the eye, a horse called Vadrim. That was a very, very good winner. Um, she won a, a five-four-long race or a six-four-long race. Um, yeah, I thought it was a very good performance um, for Charlie Fellows. Um, she's really, really consistent. If you look at her marks, every time she runs, she, she gives her best. And like She hasn't won all that many times, but... Um, I thought it was a really yeah, big performance there. They were talking up a couple of carbore horses in behind the fast response and finished second. And another one, the name escapes me at the moment, uh, El Caballo, who finished well down the field. But I thought to win a six-four long race, a listed race by over four and a half lengths, and she wasn't stopping. 
um, at the finish. I thought that was a really capable performance. Um, again, I, I'm just going back to Leperstown. I, I was there. Never ending story was very good at Leperstown, but um, those two were two big performances for me at the weekend. Um, that's uh, Philly as at Merrodsey as um, Doncaster the Dream and Never Ending Story and it was another good one at Leperstown. Did you enjoy your day out at Leperstown? Uh, you have to team me up there, aren't you? No, I didn't enjoy my day out at Leperstown. Why? A couple of little things. There, there wasn't a huge crowd there at Leperstown. And it was a I ghost town. The, there was no one there. there was, yeah, there was nobody there. Um, I ended up in the Circle Bar upstairs, which is a lovely bar, lovely, well done out, very modern, lovely seats. You could take your pick of seats up there on uh, yesterday afternoon. But um, as regards getting the bet on the tote, it was absolutely shambolic. It really, really was. It wasn't busy. There was one girl on the tote. Um, very hard to get any bets on. There was sort of managers behind her asking her to cash up as she went through races and stuff like that. It was just the poor girl hadn't got a chance. The bar was, they had price lists for drinks that were totally wrong. Um, and I, I said to you before, not just A4 pages, they were like big breadboard signs saying it's 6.50 for a pint of this lager. You go up and they charge you seven quid. And you say it to them and they go, oh, well, the prices have changed. And it's, we'll take down the signs then, you know that way. Just little things like that. I'm just getting a little bit older, a little bit more Victor Meldrew stuff. But look, there was an awful lot of people there, uh, young people up in that circle bar who were racing for the first time. Didn't know too much that there was bookmakers outside, I wouldn't say, and they're trying to get the bets on the tote. They couldn't get them on. And then even they were querying the drinks. Why did they say this price if there's something else? So just little things like that that wouldn't encourage you to go again. Yeah, and, and look, things like that make a big difference. And Chloe Hackett tweeted today, a pint at Cheltenham on race day is £7.50. Last night at the same venue for a comedy gig, it was £6. And people wonder at the BHA yeah. why race course feel ripped off. Now, she's making a really important point there. It gets countered by someone who says, oh, well, how many extra staff and insurance do Cheltenham require for a race day? Bollocks. Look, I'm no genius and I'm not an event planner. But if you're selling tickets at a premium rate to an event and you're selling that out. And Gold Cup Day, they made a big thing about how before Christmas, Gold Cup Day was sold out at Cheltenham. So they already had all that money. You are taking the ticket sales and you're reinvesting it into the infrastructure on the day. It's obviously that money's going into prize money and it's you have to pay wages and stuff like that. But you also ha already have that money in the kitty to be able to fund all of these things that then allow you to get extract even more money from the race score on the day. So it's it's not a case of, oh, because there's more people there, they have to charge more. No. No, they don't. They don't at all. It's a fallacy that they have to do that. It's an absolute nonsense when people reach to that argument. And there are people in British racing who are making arguments about how, yeah, there, are plenty, there was a CEO who's a major sponsor of racing and somebody I respect an awful lot, so I don't really want to call the person out. But they were saying that there are people who want to pay 40 quid to go racing, but equally there are people who are happy to pay a thousand pounds for a day out of the racing, and we should be looking at racing as a prestige brand. What world are you living in? What planet are you on? I know people who are wealthy, and let me tell you something, the reason they're wealthy isn't because they're tight bastards, but they certainly don't want to be splashing a grand on a day's racing, and the average customer is well and truly not going to be doing that. And irrespective of if you're paying... £10, £40, £100 for your ticket, you should be getting 
respect, you should be getting value for money. And when this kind of stuff keeps happening, a snooker event in January where pints are £6, but on trials day at 7 50 and then you go back to the Cheltenham Festival, and there were some pints that were £8.50, it's gone right back up to the same price, but then it's a lesser comedy event at £6. It just slaps people in the face. And clearly the cost of living crisis is a major issue. But Lucy, when they start saying, oh, well, you know, the train crisis was... It was the train strikes. That's what led to people not turning up. No. It will have inconvenienced some people, but that did not result. The train strikes are not responsible for 22,000 less people turning up to Cheltenham on the Wednesday and Thursday compared to last year. It's because of the fact you are charging way too much and they know they are. Yeah, the prices certainly put people off. I mean, um, you're paying enough as it is for the, just the experience. Um, and then when the cost of the drinks when you get in there expensive. It just, um, I can see why it would put off a lot of punters and race goes. Um, if I go for a day out, yeah, I would just go for the experience because there's just, you're not getting much back for the, your money when you want to have a drink or anything. So, um, again, it's expensive to get in just for the experience on its own. So I can see why they're, they're losing numbers and it's a real shame. It is. It's a shambles, but... You can't keep milking it like this. People will eventually just go, no, I've had enough of this. Yeah. And we had two years of people watching racing from home because you couldn't go anywhere. And that will have also changed mentality. Look, we all want to get back out. We all want to be out there. But it does change the mentality overall. It does It does open up an avenue to people who, who would always have gone racing who now suddenly go, actually, I can watch it at home. I don't have to go or I can go to a restaurant or a pub and watch it there and have, have fun. You need to be looking after your base customers uh, and you need to be looking after the fans above all um, first and foremost. Uh, take us home, Lucy, with a, a more positive story. Who was another horse from the weekend that we should be following? Um, well, we have the Brockles three, didn't we? And I think the favorite that was second in that race um, we ought to be following that horse, Val uh, Valadero, because he looked like a really smart son of Star, Star Spangled Banner. I think the ground probably uh, just found him out. He probably might be better on a bit of a better surface next time. He's a big individual and five furlongs as well. Might have just been a bit too sharp for him. Um, but yeah, he went off the favourite um, for the Brocklesby at Doncaster on Saturday. He did look a really nice horse. Uh, well, from the pictures I could see, and owned by Ammo Racing. Hopefully, he can give them some uh, good days ahead this season. That is a good shout. A very good shout indeed. Um, and that Brocklesby is a good race to just look back on full stop. Uh, that is it. Barry Cole will be back on the show next week when we'll be breaking down the Irish Grand National, the company of Dennis O'Regan, and building up to Aintree as well. Barry? Yes, looking forward to it already. Get rid of this twig hopper stuff, and then we can really concentrate on the flat <laughs> You just get three of the biggest meetings of the entire year out of the way first of all. Just rush on past Ferry House, rush on past Aintree, rush on past Budgetown, and then flat all the way. Oh, man. Uh, only in jest, only in uh, Now, looking forward to it. Yeah, we've got the, the Derby Pure... I almost did it, you know. The Derby Purists are coming for us, and now the, the Tweak Hopping fans are coming for you, Barry. Uh, Lucy, thoroughly enjoyed having you back on the show again. Looking forward to having you back on again very, very soon. Yeah, thank you, Emmett. Um, speak to you soon and I hope you enjoy all the racing and everything else. Yeah, there's a lot to be excited about, a lot to be looking forward to uh, for all that there are clearly very frustrating things going on in the sport. But anyway, let's just try and... By the way, I almost got a, a heart attack here because there's a headline in the Racing Post which has Nicky Henderson and Retire in the same line. 
but it's him saying, I won't retire if Mr. Coffee wins the Grand National, but it would complete the journey. It's like, what, what the, is there a breaking news story? No, thankfully, Nikki is keeping going, and that's damn right, Nikki. Keep on going. That's, a, that's all we need to know. Exactly, <laughs> Nikki. And, and give us more of this. Bump into fish pond. What's it called? Um, fish cake? No. Monfish. 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 And on that bombshell, uh, we are done. From Barry Call, Lucy Russell Hughes, and me, Ms. Kennedy, thank you for listening. Hope you're well. We will talk to you again on Thursday. In fact, there's a special coming out during the week, but Thursday, Mark will be here to preview uh, the weekend's action. We've got Dennis here as well, uh, previewing Furry House, and uh, Barry and I will break all that down with Dennis next week as well. Be safe, be well. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by BetDAC. Get 0% commission on all sports for 100 days when you join BetDAC.com, the sports betting exchange today. New customers only, terms and conditions apply.